of the show and I really am loath to play the card it's my show after all but when the time comes to play Stevie Wonder you pick your favorite Stevie Wonder tune and I know there are a lot to choose from <laughs> there are a lot of Stevie Wonder songs to choose from and you probably have a favorite of your own but the reason we turn to Mr. Wonder this morning is because it was on this day back in 1989 that Stevie Wonder became the youngest living person to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Stevie Wonder, just 38 years old, on January the 18th, 1989, when he was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. My favorite Stevie Wonder song, the one that you just heard, of course, is called Sir Duke. It's from his 1976 album, Songs in the Key of Life. Came out the following year in 77 as a single. And I'm always happy to hear then uh, when one of my favorites is actually a chart topper, which Sir Duke was for Stevie Wonder back in 77, making number one on Billboard's Hot 100 list and It's Black Singles charts back then. It also, Sir Duke did, reach number two in the UK singles chart, which was his joint biggest hit there at the time on both the UK and Billboard Hot 100. And Billboard, at the end of 1977, ranked Sir Duke as its 18th best song of the year. If you didn't know, it was written in tribute to Duke Ellington. So there you go. Lyrics also make references to other jazz legends like Count Basie, Glenn Miller, Louis Armstrong, and Ella Fitzgerald. Me love me some jazz. Sir Duke by Stevie Wonder on this day at just, in 1989, at just 38 years of age, Stevie Wonder inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And in case you're wondering, during that same induction ceremony back in 1989 which was held at the waldorf astoria hotel in new york other inductees included otis redding the temptations and some band you've probably never heard of called the rolling stones your rock and roll hall of fame inductees on this date in 1989 it is nine minutes after nine on this thursday morning the 18th of january welcome to the program. Thank you very much for making some time to stop by and hang out, have a conversation with us through the day. Phone lines open the minute we begin the show, 519-570-2545, star 570, and 1-800-570-5715. Email is mike at 570news.com, and you'll find me on the X platform, Instagram, at farwell underscore WR, plenty of ways to keep in touch with the show, uh, with me, Devin Robertson, of course, as the guy at the controls on the other side 
of the glass. Maybe, maybe some of our good friends and listeners from the royal city of Guelph want to call this morning and, and let me know what happened to their hockey team last night. I don't know. I kid just a little bit. If you can't kid a little bit about sports, what can you kid a little bit about? But a nice, solid, convincing win for the Kitchener Rangers last night in Guelph at the Sleeman Centre. 5-1 the final. That's four wins in a row for the Kitchener Rangers. That's three wins in four tries versus Guelph this season. And boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, does that ever set up some fun for this weekend, doesn't it? Because the Rangers go into the weekend three points ahead of the London Knights, and they've got back-to-back games to play against those Knights. It will be a battle for first place. If London wins both of those games, the London Knights will take over first place. If Kitchener earns a split, or, I mean, you could at least think about it, if Kitchener wins both, of course, they remain in first place. Friday night at the Memorial Auditorium, we are going to have ourselves a time, aren't we? I do believe we are. <laughs> it is 9-11. It's the And time for your Farwell Show 5 for this Thursday morning. Number one, a House of Commons committee has unanimously agreed to call on the Ethics Commissioner to explain the rules governing travel, vacations, and gifts at a hearing about Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's recent family trip to Jamaica, which was gifted by a friend. Of course, the Prime Minister continues to defend the trip, and the Prime Minister's office continues to try to explain how it gummed up the communication of said trip (laughs) so badly. Uh, Number two on your Farwell Show 5 for today. Today is the day a regional governance roadshow makes its way to the city of Kitchener. This is uh, the province's effort to undertake a review of regional governance structures like Waterloo's. We talked about it on the show yesterday. Tim Jackson, who's the CEO of Shad Canada, was here explaining just one of the reasons that he thinks we would be better off with a single-tier municipal government. We know housing is a huge issue. So we have the the Build Now initiative, trying to build 10,000 new units uh, in our community. It has not progressed because you've got the municipalities arguing or fighting with each other about policies and procedures around procurement. Some of the municipalities almost refusing to come to the table. So instead of just getting on and building 10,000 new units, we're spending a bunch of time talking and negotiating between municipalities instead of getting on doing it. If you, like me, are in favor of some sort of regional reform, I suspect you're going to leave today disappointed. I think what's going on is, for lack of a better term, a dog and pony show so that the province can claim it has done something here. But really, when it comes right down to it, I don't think uh, this is any more than optics. So the province can say, yep, we consulted with communities. It's only a standing committee that's hosting this meeting at the Crown Plaza today. And the minister, uh, Paul Calandra, the minister of municipal affairs and housing isn't even here, etc., etc. So anyway, the meeting's happening. At least, at least we can get some ideas out into the open. Whether or not anybody listens to those ideas, I haven't the foggiest. Uh, number three on your Farwell Show 5 list of things To keep in mind for today, it is deadline day for Canadian businesses 
to repay those pandemic loans and receive partial forgiveness. But business groups are warning it could mean closure for many firms. I'm hearing anecdotally of some local companies that are also concerned and struggling a little bit and the requests are already out to extend this deadline yet again. Number four on your Farwell Show 5 for today. Regional Police Chief Mark Crowell says the increase in homicides related to firearms as well as gang activity in our region is of grave concern. What we are seeing is an uptick of youth being involved in crimes locally. And number five on your Farwell Show 5 for today, local mayors are issuing a statement today on stronger communities. We are invited as media to join the mayors of, get ready for this, Cambridge, Kitchener, North Dumfries, Wellesley, Wilmot, and Woolwich for a media conference on working together to build more homes and stronger communities. Now, hang on a second. Hang on. Wait a minute. Okay. Hang on. I already told you that today is the day for the Regional Governance Review Dog and Pony Show at the Crown Plaza. And and I played this little clip from Tim Jackson, who was on the show with us yesterday. We know housing is a huge issue. So we have the, the Build Now initiative, trying to build 10,000 new units uh, in our community. It has not progressed because you've got the municipalities arguing or fighting with each other about policies and procedures around procurement. Some of the municipalities almost refusing to come to the table. So instead of just getting on and building 10,000 new units, we're spending a bunch of time talking and negotiating between municipalities instead of getting on doing it. Okay, so so Tim Jackson mentions housing when he joined us on the show yesterday as one example of how we could get out of each other's way and do better if we were a single tier. Tim Jackson also told us yesterday when he was on the show, or he gave a shout out to the mayor of Waterloo, Dorothy McCabe, who is in favor of a one-tier municipal government. Now, did you notice which mayor is missing from that joint media conference today i'll run through the list again we got cambridge we got kitchener we got the four townships north dumfries wellesley wilmot and woolwich uh where's waterloo but wait but wait there's more there's more this me <laughs> this media conference today being held by these mayors who are issuing a statement on stronger communities and working together to build more homes is happening at the Crown Plaza in downtown Kitchener, which is the same place where the review of regional governance is happening today. Are you kidding me right now? Like, are you trying to pull the wool over this old fart's eyes? You're not going to get the wool over my eyes that far. I'm wise to your games, you Weisenheimers. You see what's happening here. (laughs) While in one room at the hotel, we're going to be reviewing regional governance In another room, at the same hotel, in the same city in this region, we've got local mayors coming together to issue their statement on stronger communities. Tell me you don't want amalgamation without telling me you don't want amalgamation. That was a bit of a tangent, wasn't it? And that is your Farwell Show 5 for this Thursday, the 18th of January. It is 9-17. Let us go to the phones and say good morning to our friend Kevin. Kevin, good morning. 
Good morning, Mike. How are you? Well, I'm 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 a little bit. My blood pressure's coming down. I'm getting better. Here I am. That's okay. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I love your show, by the way. Thank uh, you. I just want to make a quick suggestion. Yeah. I love your five, you know, list list of five every morning kind of a thing. Good. But because you're playing uh, my favorite song by Europe called Final Countdown from my time back in you know nineties. Wait, didn't I just play that? Yeah, you just did. <laughs> Final Countdown. You want more of it? No, no, no. What I'm saying, isn't it better that you go from number five to one? To what is a countdown rather than one to five? <laughs> you want me to go five, four, three, two, one instead of one, two, three, four, five? Well, just a suggestion. What do you guys think about? Okay, so can we pretend even though if it's the final count up instead of the final countdown? Well, that, that, that could be too, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kevin, your uh, comments are duly noted, and I I thank you for them, sir. This was a, a, a new-ish idea of mine. I implemented it uh, starting this year. Thought it would be just, you know, a little heads up on some things that you might want to keep in mind for the day. And the only thing on my mind is what songs have counting as, uh, as, as part of the songs? So, you know, I've got other things like this one from Feist. <laughs> Right? It's counting. And then one of my all-time favorites, and I'll bet it's one of your all-time favorites, too. I mean, come on. Who doesn't remember that from their Sesame Street viewing days gone by? Anyway, I just thought of songs that have numbers or counting or whatever. But I will take Kevin's comments under advisement. Instead of counting down or counting up when I play the countdown... I should count down instead of counting up. Excellent point made by you. I love how tuned in you are to the show. Just before we take a break, I would go back to one more of those things I talked about on your Farwell Show 5 today, and that is this increase in young people in our community being involved in criminal activity, having interactions and encounters negative with police. I don't know about you, but this raises a bit of a red flag for me. We've talked an awful lot over the years about getting to root causes of criminal activity, what we can do to get at those roots and lead people, particularly youth, onto a better path. We even used to have a federally funded, I'm forgetting the name of it now, please forgive me, but it was a it was a local organization aimed at directing youth away from gangs. Federal funding dried up, the program disappears with it, and here we are. I mean, this to me says that we are missing completely the whole root causes conversation. Maybe you've got a thought on that, any concern that's raised with you around an uptick in youth being involved in criminal activity. We'll take a break and come back with your thoughts on that. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. It is 9.25, five minutes away from your update in the City News Center. Between now and then, always have time for more conversation with you. Richard is on the phone with us this morning. Good morning, Richard. Good morning, Mike. I just want to put a different lens or, or light on this whole idea of amalgamation. Sure. I don't think that bigger is better. 
I think that the municipalities are closest to their residents and should maintain control. What we have with regional government is uh, this higher level of government uh, delaying and interfering with this. And I know this from recent experience that Cambridge cannot independently make their own development decisions. They're not fighting with Kitchener. They're actually fighting with the region for approval to get their development done. In, in, what, in what particular development, Richard? Like Any, any development. Oh, I don't think it, that's the case. Well, I think you need to do some research, Mike, because... Well, that's why I'm asking you, though, for the specific example, Richard, because... Well, so, the, the, as I understand it, yes, and I did a little research recently, that any development that has to happen comes through the City of Cambridge uh, planning office, uh, offices and then has to go to the region for approval. So, I was not aware of that uh, necessary. I, I don't. I don't believe that step is necessary, but I will certainly look into please, it as well. Please, please look into. I will it because that that's my understanding, and and I did do some research recently. Yeah, unless it's on regional lands, I honestly can't imagine um, that's the case. Well, I I wish you were right. Okay, I, I hope you're wrong, but <laughs> either yeah, way, I, I yeah. I I, I I hope I am too, Mike. Maybe, maybe I got it wrong, but anyway. Um, I think, much like what's happening in Peel, uh, the, the problem with regional government is its government. Not that it provides services, because the um, consolidation and delivery of policing, for example, across uh, our seven municipalities is a, a good approach. The, well, for me, we need a regional service board for things like uh, garbage pickup, policing, transit. Because there's efficiencies to be had. We lose those efficiencies when we give governance to that level, it, it is my opinion. I, I support, uh, you know, regional policing. I support a regional ap- approach. We need that. Where we get bogged down is giving the regional government governing powers as opposed to being a service board. Richard, Just I, my thoughts. Yeah, and you know what? Very good thoughts. I, I'm not... Uh opposed out of hand to the idea of a service board. Thanks for weighing in this morning. Thanks, Mike. Take care. Yeah, you too. Appreciate the call and the conversation. And I'll look further into this needing approval from the region if you're developing in the city. I don't believe that's the case, but I will check to be sure. And and on the point of service delivery, that's kind of what I'm getting at here. And I think we can just remove the lower levels of bureaucracy, quite frankly, while keeping representation in those communities. Right? I'm not saying eliminate all of the counselors. I think some. I think we might be able to go to full-time counselors, but this is getting into the weeds more. So I, I bet you if Richard and I sat down in a room, we could arrive at some sort of compromise and, and way to do things better. I wish we had an appetite to do that municipally more broadly than just between me and Richard. I, I think give me and Richard till 10 o'clock this morning, we'll figure it out. But we don't have that... Uh, decision-making power. Those that do have that decision-making power don't seem all that interested in reform, in my opinion. All right, an update from the City News Centre, and then let's talk about the encampment on Herbs Road. Is it time to start talking about winding down that encampment? This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. 
Every day is a brand new adventure. Now, it's time to embark on this journey together. Trending this half hour on the Mike Farwell Show. On City News 570. Essentially, what I'm just hoping is that we can... um, get staff to go back and come up with a plan for how they are going to wrap up um, 101 Herbs Road. In case you aren't aware, there is a servicing limitation um, with the solution for the wastewater management. Because there is this two-year timeline, I just want to make sure that we're planning ahead and that we as council are informed and have a plan so that we aren't last minute um, having any adverse impacts on residents who will likely still be using the services at this time. The Mike Farwell Show continues on City News 570 and Rogers TV Cable 20. And that is Wilmot Mayor Natasha Salonen, who also, of course, by virtue of being a mayor, sits on regional councillor as one of those 16 councillors. And at a meeting this week, Mayor Salonen brought forward the idea of a plan to wind down the managed outdoor encampment on Herbs Road, even though the encampment hasn't even been in place for a full year yet. But it was to be a two-year, quote-unquote, temporary solution. And as you heard Mayor Salonen say in that clip, there are services being provided to that encampment that are being provided on that very temporary basis. Colleen James is a regional councillor who represents Kitchener, joins us on the show this morning for a chat. Good morning, Colleen. Good morning, Mike. How are you? I'm doing really well, thank you. How about yourself? I am good. Looking at the snow, it's a little warmer today. I'm, I'm good. Yeah, you know what? I like your attitude on that. I was looking at the snow thinking, come on, more. But you're right, we're creeping up again and we should get back to normal temperatures by the weekend. Yes. <laughs> we know, at least we know one thing, at some point it's going to get warmer and this will melt. I love it. <laughs> you know? I love that attitude. <laughs> you know, actually, in talking about the weather and how incredibly cold it's been is a connection, I think, to this conversation about, well, we have encampments beyond our managed site there on Herbs Road. But specific to that, we know that people are living in really difficult conditions right now. And the weather just adds to that. How do you feel about the idea of beginning the conversation of winding down that encampment on Herbs Road? Yeah, Mike, uh, and thanks for bringing me on to talk about this. So, you know, I, I don't disagree with, with Mayor Salen, and I think, you know, there is a need to, to have some sort of plan for what it looks like to potentially wind down. Um, I think it, I do think it's premature, and I did state that at, at council, and I think, you know, this is a pilot project, and we know with pilot projects, sometimes they continue sometimes they end. So if we're going to ask for what a wind-down plan looks like, I think there's another caveat to this, and what would it look like if we had to extend it? I think right now, you know that, you know, there are people, and this is any facet right now that are on the brink of, of being homeless. We know that we have a growing crisis, and I, I think it's it's a premature ask unless you're looking at the whole picture um, right now, especially eight months in. So, you know, valid with planning, you need to have, have, you know, both parts to this. And uh, with our plan to end chronic homelessness and that coming back later on, I don't think it's not on the the minds of staff who are working on this, what the the potential future looks like. But right now, I think, I mean, the realities for today and and it is, you know, how do we how do we ensure that that people are warm and, and, you know, we don't have, you know, 
uh, casualties uh, as a result of, of this cold. So um, complex situ- situation, um, Mike, complex and in, in impacting everybody in this region. It is complex. And I, I really like your point, Colleen, around this being a pilot project. And if we're going to talk about potentially winding it down, we should also have a plan for what if it goes longer. I think that's a really good piece of the conversation to bring to the table here. And I, I wonder if there's any concern on your part as we move through this process of the folks who are living there and have found some level of stability at the site on Herbs Road being made to feel that, oh boy, I mean, this this really is temporary in six months, 12 months, whatever it happens to be, I'm going to have to move again. Do you have concern about that? Uh, I do, but I think, and you know, and I'm fortunate to, to not have to be in that situation, but I think it's for, for those who are, are unhoused, they're living day by day, you know? So um, I, I don't even think many of us, we can start to plan a little long-term. I don't even, that, that's not the reality for, for these individuals in this region. They're, they're hanging on day by day. So, you know, I think Councillor Wolf was the one who mentioned um, creating that, that kind of scarcity, that panic for some of them. You know, that is, you know, we don't want that because we know that, that it will impact uh, those even more so. Right now, again, if people are homeless, uh, you know, we know there's people living out of their cars. Same thing, right? They're just trying to survive day by day. Um, the long-term planning for, for them, I don't think, is an option. When you look at the eight months that this managed outdoor shelter on Herbs Road has been in existence, how would you characterize it to date? Has it been a successful model for us so far? Um, So, I mean, and and I say this just with my understanding, I think it's something that is, is currently working. What that working, you know, is it the best? I'm sure there's improvements. There's always improvements. I don't think it's a perfect, um, perfect situation uh, for for anybody. But I think what we have now is, you know, 50 people who are are they have shelter, and that is the most you need to have shelter before you can think of anything else. Before you can think about the mental health, before you can think about you know the addictions, you need to have some sort of stability. So, um, is it working? It is. It is a work in progress. Uh, obviously, there are improvements. There are impacted residents, as, count, as, as Mayor Salonen said. Um, you know, but it, it's it's better than the alternative, which would be a tent or some other rough living. Absolutely. I don't know if you've you know you, you've seen the snow covered tents. I just it's it, it is it's an option. It's it's a better option right now. Is it the model to go with for for how we um, um, you know support and work with our unhoused population? I don't know, but I think it's better than than the alternative. You mentioned earlier, Colleen, that there is a report on the plan to end chronic homelessness coming back to council in in the next couple of months, and and I believe part of that is the possibility of a second site like the one on Herbs Road, another managed outdoor encampment. So might these be more of a longer short-term solution, if you will? I think so. You know, and the realities are, you know, it's not just a regional responsibility. Like, we've got the province, we've got the feds, we've got, there's, there's, 
this is kind of, as I refer to it, kind of an all-systems approach to deal with this. Um, is it, uh, it's a temporary solution, but again, part of my thoughts around this are we really need to understand what, uh, how we've viewed homes, the notion of homes, and, and you know, that may look different for different people. We see, you know, be it we're in a, an apartment, a condo, a townhouse, you know, we've got, you know, single family home. Uh, is, is, is that, that's historically what we know as homes. Is there another, is there another um, outcome of what homes look like going forward? Based on the motion brought forward by Councillor Salonen at the meeting earlier this week, where are we going from here? Will this be incorporated into that plan to end chronic homelessness update in the next couple of months? I would hope so. I would hope so. Um, I, I don't think it can be excluded from it because we've identified and, in, in, you know, previous council approved this. And I think it's part of it. It's all part of it. And uh, I don't think staff or staff recognize that they have to um, we we have to include this as part of of the plan. And um yeah, I don't think anyone's kind of going to deny that. <laughs> <laughs> Colleen, I really appreciate you making time on the show this morning. Thank you very much for being Absolutely. here. Absolutely. Anytime. Have a good day, Mike. Thanks, you too. Bye-bye. Bye. Colleen James is a regional councillor representing Kitchener. She thinks it might be premature to talk about winding down the managed outdoor encampment on Herbs Road, as opposed to perhaps even having a conversation about what if we extend it? Now, when Councillor Salonen, the mayor of Wilmot, brought this forward at regional councillor, uh, pardon me, at regional council this week, she brought it forward in a very pragmatic and matter-of-fact way. Wilmot is providing the servicing here, and the servicing was established. And we're talking about the um, the facilities that are there to provide water, waste, etc. And they were designed for that two-year period, which was the timeline attached to this particular shelter. So if there is going to be a need to take that beyond the two-year timeline, you would be talking about tying into, I believe, the existing municipal infrastructure that serves the paramedics building that's out there, for example. So it really is just based on what Mayor Salonen brought forward, looking at this from a practical sense. We said two years. We have planned and serviced for two years. If we're going beyond two years, we need to start the process now to ensure that there is a seamless transition from temporary to more permanent, let's say, when it comes to that servicing especially. So I can absolutely see where Mayor Salonen is coming from in that regard. And really, we know, how many times have we talked about how slowly the wheels of bureaucracy turn, right? So if you're eight months in and the plan is for 24 months, you've got... 16 more months remaining to figure out what you're doing beyond that point. My feeling on this, and I've shared this with you before, and I'm, I'm not trying to, like, I've got nothing against, I'm, I'm not trying to um, diminish 
the lives and the experiences of the people who are finding shelter on Herbs Road, my heart goes out to them every day, especially these frigid cold days. I've mentioned it multiple times already this week on the show. As cold as it's been, every time I get ready to go outside or every time I watch a weather forecast, I think about these folks. It's the first place my mind goes. I could not imagine being in a tent or even in a shelter such as Herbs Road. I I just can't imagine. I'm so grateful for the shelter that I have. So it's got nothing to do with the folks who have found themselves in these positions. But, But my position on this is that we are going to have to get used to these sorts of shelters on our municipal landscape. I personally don't see a scenario whereby these shelters go away. <sighs> Ever. And I know that's that's a that's a pretty uh broad timeline, right? Like these these will always be there. It's an absolute and I I try not to talk in absolute. So maybe sometime, but in my lifetime, are these encampments going to go away? Considering how far behind we are on all of this, considering what we have learned in the last number of years about the encampments, and I'm talking tents now, that were always out there that we never paid attention to because they were so well hidden from view, etc. Now we've got a problem that is so great and so visible that we have things like a better tent city that exists with the small cabins. We've got things like this managed outdoor encampment with the shipping containers. We're talking about a second managed encampment somewhere in the region. In my opinion, these shelters are not going anywhere ever. They are now, pilot project or not, these, I believe, are part of the solution. If you can put 50 people into a space where they are safe, where they have better shelter than a tent and it proves itself effective, then I don't see a way that these things ever wind down. And I'm not casting judgment on how good or bad I think that is. I think this is the reality of our housing solution for as long as I can see into the future. That's my take on it. Always happy to hear yours. Is it time? to start winding down, make get the plan going to wind down the outdoor shelter? Or maybe you see it the way I see it, and these things will always be a part of our landscape here in the region of Waterloo. Your thoughts always welcome on the program. 519-570-2545, star 570, 1-800-570-5715. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. It's a temporary solution, but again, part of my thoughts around this are we really need to understand how we've viewed homes, the notion of homes, and that may look different for different people. We see an apartment, a condo, a townhouse, a you know, single family home. That's historically what we know as homes. Is there another outcome of what homes look like going forward? Colleen James is a regional councillor who represents Kitchener. Full marks to Devin Robertson, our guy on the other side of the glass every day here on the program. That clip that he just took from the eight minutes 
we were chatting with Counselor James, I think is the perfect clip to sum up what we're talking about. What do homes look like in the future? And and it is my belief this conversation this morning, precipitated by a motion that was brought forward to a committee of regional council earlier this week, the motion brought forward by Wilmot Mayor Natasha Salonen, who says, I think it's time for us to put into motion the plan to wind down the encampment, the managed outdoor encampment, those shipping containers out on Herbs Road, not far from the landfill site, because it's supposed to be a two-year pilot project. And eight months in, we had best be ready for what comes 16 months from now. And what Councillor James said there about what homes look like and how we define a home in the future, I think ties in exactly to what I shared with you before the break. And that is, for me, I believe, and, and I'm not casting judgment one way or the other, saying it's good or it's bad. I just think it's reality. And for me, the reality is that we will have neighborhoods, let's call them neighborhoods, like this in our community forever and ever. Amen. 519-570-2545, star 570, 1-800-570-5715. I'm just recalling as we have this conversation a story about a tiny home community in Alberta. I think it was the Calgary area, if I'm not mistaken. It might have been in Calgary, but this was an attempt to find adequate and stable housing for veterans because they were struggling as well. And so these may not be the kinds of tiny homes that you see if you're thinking of downsizing and living a minimal life, a minimalist life, if you have the means to do so. These are tiny homes like our our outdoor encampment with shipping containers is a is a version of a of a tiny home it's not fancy but it's going to get the job done and so maybe that's what home looks like i don't believe if we looked at this in a more traditional sense like an apartment building as much as we could logistically simply erect a large structure with 50, 100, however many units you want to frame into the big building, right? And this would be the kind of building that we're used to seeing. Maybe it's like a hotel, motel, but it's pretty simple. Every room has its own locked door so you can keep your possessions safe, etc. Even if we wanted to do that, and I, I get all of the connotations. It sounds a lot like prison, Farwell. We're talking about warehousing people. It goes on and on from there, right? So I, I'm fully aware of the challenges presented. But the, one of the other challenges with that is we are at a point where it's not as though we can walk around every encampment, outdoor, tents, in this community and say, we just built this building. It's indoors, like you, you have to go there now. It's just not the way that we operate when it comes to our approaches to dealing with homelessness. So again, I'll just tell you, in my opinion, love it, lump it, these sorts of encampments are going to be a part of our foreverness in this region. Uh, Kathy, I got about 30 seconds. What yeah, do you think? I make it quick. I yeah. tend to agree with you, and I think Colleen James summed that up very well. Um, but 
what Lesman mentioned, the City of London is looking at doing something for their homeless too. And they're looking at Waterloo Region and Peterborough for information on their encampments that they have. The difference being City of London is putting the encampments up on city owned land with services. Well that's what they've done on Herbs Road. Yeah. Yeah. Well they had to make, put some in though. Uh, London's got it right where everything would be serviced. It's no big deal. More like the one on our delt, the, the tiny home yep, thing. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Kathy, thanks for that. And I know our better tent city, the one on our delt that Kathy just talked about, is being looked at as a model for other communities, including Hamilton. It, just uh, get used to it. And if you're not yet, start wrapping your head around it. Because I do believe these sorts of neighborhoods or communities are here to stay. We've got an update from the City News Centre, and then there is a new role in Kitchener. It's called the Director of Culture and Entertainment. But what does that really mean? Well, we'll meet the man who now holds the role coming up. Stay with us for the conversation on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570. Late last fall, the city of Kitchener named its first ever director of culture and entertainment. So, newly created role. And from late last fall to present day, and now in the role for about six weeks, Jeremy Dueck joins us on the program to talk about it. And really, it's helpful, I think, for all of us. Director of culture and entertainment with the city of Kitchener, whatever does it mean? So, Jeremy, let's start right there. How do you even approach a brand new role like this? Well, Mike, it's it's a big task in the sense of trying to not only get my personal bearings within City Hall and how this fits into economic development, but also then to bring on board this team, arts and creative industries, special events, and then also another brand new aspect of the team, which is the venues team. Um, it's been kind of dubbed as the centralized service provider, but essentially the venues unit within the culture and entertainment team is helping and assisting and supporting the four cultural and entertainment venues in the city. The Odd, Center in the Square, the Registry Theater, and the Conrad Center for the Performing Arts. So wrapping my head personally around kind of that scope of work, but then also trying to figure out, okay, the assets that are already here, the, the phenomenal talent that are, I know our arts and creative team is working with, the events that our special events team are already producing, and then obviously the four cultural venues are already doing wonderful things. So it's what do we have, and then what are the first things that we can start to address so that it's not completely overwhelming? What, what is this telling us, Jeremy, about the city of Kitchener's commitment to culture I'll throw arts to arts, culture, and entertainment. I think it's a formalized approach. It's very methodical. There's a clear process. It's the culture and entertainment team is nestled into the economic development department. So I think there's a clear focus. And there's and now with with this new role, I think there's an opportunity to have uh, leadership, oversight, and some and some really methodical plays in the sense of how can arts and creative industries work alongside special events 
and then work within the venues that we already have. And I think that one of the challenges with any industry, with any kind of ecosystem, is that sometimes it's difficult for, in the busyness of everyday life, in the busyness of tasks, it's difficult for the different um, groups and organizations to communicate. And I think what this position does is provide a nice layer of oversight, not direction. I, even though the title is director, I don't see myself as that. I see myself more as truly a listener. I've been doing so much listening in the first uh, six weeks of this role. But then also trying to find opportunities. So, you know, you've got one group that's looking kind of for these things or these needs, and you've got this kind of opportunity over here. Where is there, is, where is there an opportunity to connect? So connector... Um, kind of a, a, you know, if you want to use the uh, musical analogy of a conductor, how can we recognize the strengths of each of the different, the strings, the brass, the percussion, and then kind of bring that together? I am not a maestro, but I, but I do, but I do see myself as someone with kind of my experience, my background, my passion for the community who can help. And I think that's been a really refreshing um kind of take for me personally, but professionally, I think it's, it's so much bigger than just one role. It really is about, you know, recognizing the talents of the arts and creative industries team. There's three staff that work in that unit. They're outstanding. They each have their own kind of role within that space, special events. We were talking about this before, Uber professionals, they just, they know how to run events. They know how to program events. And then obviously the, the four venues, which you spend a lot of time in one of them. Um, and, and each of those venues have their own strengths. They're operated differently. Um, so it, it's, it's really kind of understanding what the huge landscape is and then what are the opportunities. So that's really where I'm at right now within this, this first six-week time period. The Kitchener Memorial Auditorium, obviously that venue where I spend a lot of time. What are the other venues under this umbrella? So the venues that this role supports are the Conrad Center, which is just beside the Museum Downtown Kitchener. Um, the Registry Theatre, which is on Frederick, and obviously the Centre in the Square, 2000 Seat Performing Arts Centre, world-renowned acoustics, just a phenomenal place to, to enjoy uh, entertainment there for sure. So those are the three, and it was great. We had our first Venues Coffee Chat at Matter of Taste uh, last week, or maybe it was two weeks ago. And when you get venue operators into the same space, you can just see and feel that energy. And again, in terms of small wins, that seems like such a basic step. But having venue operators being able to share some of the basic challenges operationally, booking and scheduling, um, I, I can see how the value of this type of department, the value of this type of role, um, the value of this, you know, basically Kitchener's vision to try to bring things together more. Uh, you can see immediate payoff. And I think those conversations are just one small case study of what is going to happen over the next few years. So I think I can certainly see this from the corporate perspective, Jeremy. What about on the user end, the customer experience in all of this? How will residents of the city of Kitchener, and maybe more broadly the region, benefit from this? There's a few strategic things that will need to happen in the few years for the customer to see on a daily basis the impact. But I do think that in the short term, um, what a resident will see or what a entertainer will see is that the city is looking for opportunities, right? So kind of back to that first theme of how can we layer in local? So whether it's a local artist, visual artist, musical artist, performing artist, are there ways, is there inventory within the city structure where we can now engage that group? Same with residents, right? We're looking in terms of audience development. We talked about this earlier about the importance of really understanding who your audience is, 
How is the audience changing? And then what are the needs of those groups? What are the needs of those organizations? And since the start of this, this role, not that my phone has been on, on the, off the hook like yours during a radio show, like a call-in show, but my radio has been ringing, or my, my, sorry, my phone has been ringing, my emails have been um, exploding to some extent with groups that are inquiring about how they can be involved. And I think part of that is creating a clear process so that it's not a complicated effort, right? So if a group wants to create their own event, if they want to create their own festival, right, um, how can they go about doing that? Right? How, what are the steps to doing that? And I think one of the things we've already started to do within the unit is compartmentalize, group different um, requests based on complexity, based on need, based on the resources they're bringing. And I think that clear path will help the event organizer. And then the resident is going to benefit because they're going to see more. Right? It really truly is about how can we bring in more. Um, it's, it's more of local more of diversity, more of unique arts, more of unique creative industries. It's just more. And I, th- and I think it's going to take a while for us to kind of build this sustainable, ongoing engine where, you know, staff don't necessarily have to do all the lifting where it's, it's, it's a blended community effort. But I think that I can already sense it, that there's a lot of, a lot of passion. There's a lot of interest and people want to know what they can do to be part of arts, creative industries, culture, entertainment within the city. And there's so many ways to engage. So I will say, though, um, again, kind of in this first month of landscape environment assessment, the region, the city of Kitchener has so much to offer, right? We don't have to go to a bigger city to experience some of the arts and entertainment that we want to experience. There's choices here, right? Whether it's the center of the square, the registry theater, the Conrad Center, the odd, there are entertainment options in those spaces and whether, and festivals too, right? If you go and look at the city of Kitchener's special events website, there's a list of events that we know, I call them evergreen events because they happen every year. You know that it's coming. And so I think from a, a resident perspective, we can start to plan and how we use our time in different ways. Instead of having to plan trips elsewhere, we can stay here. And, and one of the, the phrases I've been using often is instead of us packing up the, the, the truck or the car or going on the train to Toronto for a weekend, there's options here that we can engage in. And I think that's part of our role as a culture and entertainment unit is to shine a spotlight on those opportunities, on those options. And I think the more we create these processes and systems that seem very boring maybe to the listener, but really those systems, those processes create repetition, create good habits, create great choices, and and we're able to really showcase what we have to offer in the city of Kitchener. So to that end, because this is one of the things that was very interesting to me, Jeremy, when I first heard that the role was even being created. And and I'll use music as the example because that gets talked about a lot. But you've got Detroit just a few hours away. You've got Toronto another hour away in the other direction. And when artists are in between those two major centers, we hear a lot, well, you know, London's got a pretty nice arena and venue. Then Hamilton's got a pretty decent one too. And those become options between Michigan and Toronto. For example, is the idea here longer term that this creates a place where Kitchener becomes a player for that in between Detroit and Toronto scene? 
Booking, scheduling, routing is a huge topic, and we could spend the next hour <laughs> talking about routing and scheduling because it, it truly is. It's, it's a science, right? A lot of the promotion groups, Live Nation, AEG Presents, uh, Feld Entertainment, Cirque, they have perfected some of those routes, and, and, and those routes often get planned years in advance depending on, on the, the talent of the artist or the talent of the, um, the production. So what I would suggest is that what we're probably looking at more so in terms of priority is how are we going to take the local artists? How are we going to produce our own content where we're not relying on third-party promoter groups, where we're not relying on external uh, impacts, where we can really do our own thing? And, And we were talking before about brands that do a great job of creating their own, their own product, their own content. And I think we have definitely enough scope within the city and even more broadly the region in terms of talent, in terms of content, to do a lot of our own production, whether it's festivals, events. There's a lot of talent here. I do think that we'll layer in some of the external talent as well. I don't think that you know we, we can be completely exclusive to external. But I do think that there's a lot of um, work that can be done in building from within. And once we can kind of build that engine using kind of local parts, I think that it'll be very interesting to see how we can now then churn more content. And I I do think it's about more um, and more options, more variety. It's not necessarily more for more's sake, but I do think that people are looking for options. What, What you and I might like to do on a Friday night might not be what another group likes to do on a Friday night. And I think that's great. I really do. I think it's something to be celebrated. And so as we can find these opportunities, and and I was speaking with one of the local counselors about um, a comedian um, who they were very familiar with and and just kind of looking for that, that opportunity to kind of get their feet wet and be introduced in the marketplace. And I thought to myself, you know, there's definitely a market for that type of entertainment here. And how can then we marry that opportunity with the space? So I think those are some of the challenges that are going through my head are, you know, let's let's address some of these like immediate needs that we know are here right now. Um, and then when we when it gets to the routing and kind of the, the bigger science project, we can we can definitely tackle those. But definitely we have the venues already here that can compete. We have the talent here that can compete. And so I'm just I'm if you can tell in my voice, I'm just so excited about um, what our city has to offer. And I think that I know from a, a staff perspective everyone's on board and they've really seen kind of the, the power of this vision of layering and local and really working together between the content, the arts and creative industries, the entrepreneurs, the venues, and then the special events, of course, the special events team really kind of solidifying that, that programming space. You have mentioned the connection to economic development within the city. What is the argument for the creation of a role like this and the broader strategy that connects us to the local economy? That's a great question. I'm not just saying that <laughs> because you're three <laughs> feet away from me. Um, there's a very interesting role within uh, Waterloo Region Tourism. Uh, it's a director of sport role. And the purpose of that role is to essentially look for opportunities broadly to bring sport opportunities to the region, competing on bids, whether it's you know minor sport or um, professional sport, that, that role really focuses on what can what other opportunities are, are out there that we can bid on that might have an impact on the hotel industry, the restaurant industry, um, you name it. it. There's so many economic spinoffs. So I do see aspects of this role 
maybe not immediate, but in the longer term, looking at what cultural properties are there that would benefit um, coming here, and that, but more importantly, that our local artists and creative community would also benefit from having access to, right? I do think that there's a lot of um, there's a lot of priority that needs to be placed on what's the mutual benefit, right? I think sometimes we see, especially with sport, where a community will go out bid on a sport property, and it has a negative impact on the local community. I won't name the sport properties, but you can you can think of some of the major global international sport properties where they've come into a community, displaced the local community, and kind of leave, they kind of leave a trail behind them as they leave. And I think that from an economic, an economic development perspective, if there are cultural properties, entertainment properties that will benefit our community, and that we can actually then leverage to kind of raise our profile and raise and support our artists and support our community members, that's the win. And I think there are some. I think there are some that are that are out there that we can we can work towards. And having conversations with some with some team members the other day, they're excited about those prospects as well. I'm running real short on time, but I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about the role from which you are graduating, if I can put it that way. I feel, and I said this before we uh, started this, that I feel like I grew up with you at the Kitchener Memorial Auditorium where you were the manager. 14 years, still blows my mind, but prior to taking on this role. It could not have been easy, Jeremy, to make the decision, as great as this new role is, but to leave a place where I know not only you excelled, but you were very comfortable with a great team. Well, I appreciate you saying that, Mike. And for the last five years, or nearly five years as the manager, I think, and going through COVID, which obviously was a a brutal time, uh, you know, across the community, what I miss the most is seeing the impact of culture and entertainment on a weekly basis, right? On a nightly basis, depending on how many events are happening during that week. And seeing the community experience the culture and entertainment that happens at the odd, and especially seeing the impact on the team members who are supporting and facilitating that impact, that's, I think, what it's all about is, you know, what culture is is how we experience things and and what things are to us as individuals and i just know how much passion the team at the the kitchen auditorium the odd have and i mean the, the memorial auditorium is a wonderful building and one of a kind and you see when when guests and visitors come to it how much of an impact it does have on them you know remarkably clean remarkably well laid out staff take care of things but then in terms of how the residents and the community engages with that building there's that equal respect and i think you know if if we can take some of those aspects of you know how the community it's, it the, the oddest city owned and operated which is very a very unique ownership and operating model within venue management but if we can take some of those processes and layer them into kind of this new space um, which I think there's a, a huge appetite for. I think we're going to do we're going to do some wonderful things in Kitchener, and I'm excited about that. I'm equally excited, and I'm very much excited also to watch you evolve in this role. Uh, kudos on the new position, and thanks for making time for the show. It's great to have you here, Mike. You're the best. Thanks for having me. Jeremy Duick is the director of culture and entertainment with the city of Kitchener. You've heard me say this before. I think there is a direct connection between what we do in arts, culture, and entertainment in the city and our local economy. I'm pretty excited by this. I know it becomes, you know, when we talk about a director of culture and entertainment, it starts sounding rather corporate, but 
Jeremy, as you can hear, I hope comes through in that conversation. I certainly hear it. Very passionate about this. I think there's real opportunity for growth for the city of Kitchener in this regard. Really excited to see where this goes. I hope you share in that excitement. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. I can see how the value of this type of department, the value of this type of role, the value of this, you know, basically Kitchener's vision to try to bring things together more, you can see immediate payoff. And I think those conversations are just one small case study of what is going to happen over the next few years. Jeremy Duek is the Director of Culture and Entertainment. The City of Kitchener joins us to talk about the brand new role that's been created. He is in that role and how he sees it evolving in the years ahead. I think there's tremendous opportunity here. I like to see that the city of Kitchener is committed to its arts, culture, entertainment, creative industries sector. How do we essentially brand Kitchener? We've already got a Nashville. We've already got a Vegas. We've already got places around the world that do really interesting things in the arts and entertainment space what does Kitchener become in that? And I think this role will lead us in that direction. How do we define ourselves in that space? An update from the City News Center is coming up. And then a couple of home games for the 2-2 two and two KW Titans this weekend. And every time there's a home game, there is a connection to a local community organization. We'll find out those connections coming up on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570 and Rogers TV. Hey, have you taken the opportunity to check out a KW Titans game yet this year? Two and two, good start to the season for our local basketball club in the new Basketball Super League. David Schooley is the CEO of the KW Titans. And as is typical, David, when he comes in to the studio to join us for a chat, he brings along some friends. And those friends today, Shelly Murphy, the executive director and co-founder of Adults in Motion. Good morning. Good morning, Mike. And Beth Wagner is with us. Beth King, pardon me, is with us as well. Where did Wagner come from? I have no (laughs) idea. I must know of Beth Wagner somewhere deep down. Beth King is the fund development manager at the Canadian Mental Health Association of Water the Wellington. Good morning, Beth. Good morning, Mike. David, these are your partners for the weekend home games at the Memorial Auditorium. Oh, Mike, you know what? We're so excited. We have uh, what we're calling a 10 out of 10 double feature weekend. <laughs> I love it. So uh, we're playing Windsor on Saturday um, at 7, thir- 7 o'clock at the odd. Um, you just had my friend Jeremy on. I um, did. You know, so congratulations to Jeremy on his new uh, new role. Uh, and then for the very first time, uh, Montreal's coming to town. Nice. To play on Sunday at 2. Excellent. And these are our two partners. You've for... made a commitment. I want to just touch on that quickly <clears throat> yes. because you made a commitment when you assumed ownership of this basketball team to ensure that it was deeply connected to our community. Yes. That's, you know, that's our, our biggest goal. You know, uh, we have some incredible basketball that's happening in our city, but we we want to make it more than that. And you know, so working with uh, organizations like uh, uh, CMHA 
and uh, adults in motion. You know, we have every single game is tied to a cause right. or uh, a group or organization or a charity, right? So we want to we want to bring them to the forefront, um, and and we have this amazing tool of. Uh, you know, professional sports to do that. Absolutely. So, Shelley, can you start by just telling us a little bit about Adults in Motion for those that may not know what you do? Yes. So, Adults in Motion um, operates day programs for adults with developmental disabilities. And our first program started here in Kitchener. Very good. Very good. And so, who is participating in these day programs? Yeah. So, our members are uh, very cool people with lots of talent and skills. Um, and they also have developmental disabilities. So after graduation from high school, um, if someone's looking for a supportive program, um, Adults in Motion is definitely an option. And uh, one of our biggest goals is being connected with the community, which is what brought me here today. Absolutely. And we've got a nice deep connection. And then, Beth, you know, we were just speaking with our friends at the uh, CMHA Waterloo Wellington earlier this week, CEO Helen Fishburn. But this is something, and we're into Let's Talk Month and yeah. all of the awareness around mental health. How are we doing in this space? Um, I think it continues to be a really tough space to be in, Mike. I mean, the realities are when things are hard in life, things are hard with our mental health and overall well-being. And that is definitely what we're seeing play out in our community locally. And I know in your conversations with Helen on a, on your monthly talks, you talk a lot about sort of the the tone or or the temperature um, of what's happening in our community. And it's these are hard days. They're tough days. Um, and the winter months, believe it or not, can also play into that, right? Like when people are indoors more than out, um, it cre- increases that isolation, those feelings of being alone, which also plays into our overall me- mental health and well-being. So, um, you know, being able to get out into our community and to celebrate with things like this event, um, being courtside with our local basketball players is a great place to be. Um, it really can charge us up and we all know the importance of physical um, activity and how that plays into our mental health as well. So really great partnership for us with the KW Titans. It's a great connection, David. I, oh, we are excited. Right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. So it's too bad you couldn't make it out to the game. <clears throat> I think there's some sort of a challenge going on, is there not? There is challenge going on. So um, CMHA National has launched uh, a nationwide challenge this February called the Push-Up Challenge. So it launches on February 1st, and it's 23 days long. We're challenging people from coast to coast um, to do 2,000 push-ups to represent the 20% of our population that will experience a mental illness this year. And um, we're, uh, we're going to launch that event courtside um, this weekend at our game, do a little mini push-up contest um, at one of the intermissions and see how many push-ups can be done in a minute. Um, so it should be fun. We're uh, really looking forward to that. I, I want to take this just a little bit further because I was made aware of this. I think I have some recruits here at the radio station Amazing. to participate. <laughs> now, hang on, Beth. I don't have to do 2,000 push-ups in a row, right? No. Okay. You do not have to do 2,000 push-ups like in it, a though. row. Uh, yeah, you would. Can, <laughs> can, if I get like 20 people, can we each just do like 100? Like how... How can I make this easier okay. on myself? Is what I'm. No. It's well, you know, it's totally accessible, right? <laughs> yes. We're gonna. We're not gonna create an event that's not accessible for any everyone. But um, the goal is to push yourself, to push for better mental health, and it really is about um, a goal that represents um, a percentage of our population who are gonna really struggle this year. Um, it's a very meaningful goal to us at CMHA, um, and the goal is really 
uh, the the app and the website is set up to issue a specific target every day. So there's a physical challenge, but alongside of that physical challenge is a mental health fact related to the target. So it's also about building awareness. It's about reducing the stigma. It's about um, engaging in the conversation um, and really just holding space for for what people are, are working through these days. David, how are you going to determine who are you going to participate in the push-up challenge? Um, <clears throat> I don't think so. Um, two torn rotator cups. Oh, so that, I, yeah. I doubt it. Um, but I'll be there cheering on, um, you know, all those that participate. Good. I think we might be bringing some fans down. I think I might have a couple of players that uh, that aren't actually on the active roster that night that might be participating. So it'll be interesting. It's going to be fun. It'll be fun. Well, One. for all those Adults Emotion members who are listening here today, get your push-ups ready. Nice. we got I some work it. to do next week. <laughs> right. Shelly? Yeah. Oh, after February 1st, actually. Yep. yep. February 1st. You've got some recruits already. There you go. Wonderful. I love the way it comes together. So I heard you're a bit of a push-up junkie, Mike. Did I not hear that a couple of days on your show? I, I may have. Like, so, I, so here's the truth of it all. This is what happens when I turn on a microphone and just speak honestly. People but listen? Some of them, yeah. yes. We're up to 40 listeners yep, now. 40 so it's listeners. pretty good. <laughs> yes. But the year I was turning 50, I thought, well, this is just not, like, I, there was just something in my mind. And, you know, there, was, there are times in my life that I was in far better shape than I am today. So I decided at the beginning of the year that I would start, because my birthday's in the summer, I would start practicing so that I could do 50 push-ups on occasion of my 50th birthday. I'm now beyond 50, but I kept it up. So, <laughs> I kid you not, during the show every day, when the news comes on, I get out of this chair, I get down on the floor, and I crank out a set of push-ups. And I do a, a set of 30 push-ups every 30 minutes throughout the show. So, I'm confident that if I were to be a part of... If I could do 2,000 over the course, you know, because I, I do... I start them at 7 o'clock in the morning, so 7, 7.30, 8, 8.30, you can do the math... I, I put in about 300 push-ups every day, so I should be able to wow. reach 2,000 over You're the course of February. You're easily going to reach the goal. Yeah, that'd so no. be all right. <laughs> but right. I know I'm getting up, my, my shoulders are getting a little sore too, David. I might have to <laughs> dial it back a bit. But I think, anyway, it, the point in all of this was when I started, I thought, okay, I'm going to do like 20 or 25 push-ups at a time. And that was not happening. It was not. So I started at 15 and worked my way up to 30 at a time. And then I figured, okay, that's enough for one and then I could also, by the way, I successfully got to 50 push-ups on my 50th birthday, and then 51 the year after that. I don't know when it's going to fall off, but I made 52. We'll see how I do this year. <laughs> I want to see you make 100. <laughs> oh, come on. Straight? Well, I don't think no, that'll I ever happen. On oh, yeah, 100. Birthday. Could you imagine that? Wouldn't yeah. That be... Beth, I feel like you might have your poster person for your yep. program I think there. I might. So. Yeah. I think that he certainly can issue a challenge to this community to get on board. I am just saying that if a sedentary <laughs> radio talk host can build his way up from 15 push-ups at a time to 30 and do them, you know, on a regular basis, then I think most of us can do that, too. So talking about activity, I want to talk about uh, the... Uh, adults in Motion versus Titans game last week. Oh, <laughs> that was a game. It was a tough game. It was a tough game. Um, the team uh, came out to visit uh, Adults in Motion uh, last week, and we spent some time with them. We we did some drills and some dribbling practices. Um, um, I think I might be signing a couple of them because there's some incredible skills out there. I like it. Uh, and then we actually had a... Um, Five-on-five five scrimmage. True story. There may or may not have been a blowout. <laughs> I, wow. I, 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 I'm, 
Uh, there's no comment. <laughs> no I comment. I don't have any comment here. Um, you know, I, uh, I'm going to take the fifth on that. Um, <laughs> Way to go, adults in motion. It was... Shelly, it, were you the starting center? Oh, I was the ref. Oh, no, oh even oh, better. Completely so, yeah. fairly called game. <laughs> I, I, I'll take anybody to task on that. That was a fair call every time. Yes, it was, it was really... Um, um, I think that we have a video running um, online that you can see. It was really a great experience. This is the second year we've been out to, to visit them. And I think, uh, I'm not sure how many uh, folks you have coming out to the game on the weekend, but um, Adults in Motion in Kitchener, in Hamilton, in Oakville, um, and, Ca- and, and Cambridge. Cambridge. Yeah. Right. So in four cities. How, how, does someone, how does someone become part of Adults in Motion? Yeah, lots of ways to be part of Adults in Motion. We've, we obviously have our members, our participants, who are joining us, like I said, after high school, um, looking for really engaging activities, getting connected with their community. Our Titans relationship is one of those examples. Um, but other ways, too. We have uh, amazing staff team, employment opportunities, volunteers. Uh, we're connected with the universities and the colleges in all of our cities, uh, providing student placements, um, all the way to donors, sponsors, um, and even followers on social media. There are tons of ways to get connected uh, with Adults in Motion. Uh, some people might remember uh, back at Christmas time, uh, we were on uh, CTV News uh, telling the story about our crafts that our uh, members make, our um, uh, art pieces, and they're selling them online. So you can even be a purchaser through our Etsy store uh, to support the program. So endless ways to get involved. And a big, big anniversary this year. Yes. So we're 15 years this year. Wow. Way to yeah, go. Thank you. We started back in 2009. My husband, Rod, shout out to, uh, to Rod. Uh, he's, uh, he's right now um, in a program, um, running some programming. Um, but uh, 15 years ago, we looked around. And at that time, there weren't a lot of options uh, for people with disabilities after high school. And so we thought, you know, if we had a loved one, a brother or a sister or a child that needed this kind of support and this kind of programming, where would we want to send them? And that was the foundation we used to start up Adults in Motion. And 15 years later, here we are. What so, was the light bulb for you then, Shelley? Uh, find a need and fill it. Hmm. Yeah. Anyone yeah. saw the Robots movie with uh, Robin Williams? Oh, my gosh. There was a, there's a catchphrase in that movie, and it sounds something like, find a need and fill it. So the dad robot would always say to the son who wanted to be an inventor, you want to be an inventor, you want to solve problems, find a need and fill it. And so that's what we did. We looked in the industry and thought, what is it that's missing? And uh, it was a meaningful, community-connected day programming. That was 15 years ago. So we're having a big gala at the end of the year. All four of our programs are getting together. We're inviting all of our community members, Beth, Mike, David, the Titans, you name it. It's going to be a party, dancing, live music. Um, dining, of course, uh, and guaranteed to be lots of laughs. I love it. Way to go. That's really, really incredible. Thank you. It sounds like the Titan story. It does <laughs> sound like the Titan story. That's right. Yes. Perfect. So be, I, I want to uh, switch back over to Beth and talk <laughs> about, um, you know, um, mental health, health awareness. Uh, there's a few things. What There's something new um, nationally. <laughs> Right, that, that we wanted to talk about. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think it's, uh, I'm going to let you take that. Yes, yeah, for sure. So at the end of November, um, there was a new national suicide prevention line launched. Uh, again, right across Canada, the number for that, for that line is 988. So uh, the importance of a three-digit number for ease of memory, um, 988. If you are struggling with your mental health and well-being, if, you're, if you have thoughts or, um, you know, uh, 
you, you need information on suicide prevention and intervention, that's a great resource and available to everyone in this country at no cost. Um, CMHA Waterloo Wellington is one of the providers of service through the 988 phone line. So um, the goal of 988 is to direct those calls locally as much as possible. Um, and so if someone in this community calls 988, you're, you're likely to get a CMHA Waterloo Wellington staff on the other end of that call. Um, and then the other resource that I would want to highlight alongside 988 is our Here 24-7 line, which provides um, crisis um, information, resource, connection to uh, local mental health resources and supports. And you can call that line anytime. We're here 24-7, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And that number is 1-844-437-3247. That 988 line, and you mentioned the ease of the three digits. Yeah. Long time coming, but so very valuable. So very important. Yeah, it really is. Good stuff. So what's your biggest challenge, Beth? Because um, what's your role? Oh, your my role? role? Well, I'm the fundraiser for CMHA Waterloo Wellington. <laughs> well, there's an easy job. So, yeah, no so kidding. So my role is really about closing the gap, right? Closing the gap <laughs> between the growing need for service and the limit of funding that we have. So my role is really just about helping people understand um, the story of CMHA, the needs <clears throat> that exist in our community, and how they can be supportive and get engaged with us. And so the push-up challenge is one of those ways that people can get engaged. Um, it helps build awareness. It helps reduce stigma. But it's also a fundraiser for CMHA. So it's and, important. And it also <laughs> helps us start talking about it. It sure does. Right? And, the, I mean, I, I think that's the important thing, right? If you have... If, if you have some challenges or troubles and, and regardless of whether, you know, it's really, really bad or, you know, there's, there's avenues to, 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 uh, to go down, right? And, and it's okay, right? We don't totally we okay. want to talk about it. Absolutely. It's also about connection to community, right? So <clears throat> when you come together with a common goal and a common purpose, there is community that's part of that. And so joining the push-up challenge and I'm going to tell you how to do that in a second because that's also a really important piece. When you join the push-up challenge, you become part of a community. You're all working towards a common goal um, while you're working on your own physical and mental health and your well-being, which is amazing. And it's free and it's easy to access. It's online. It's virtual. And so go online today, thepushupchallenge.ca, register as an individual, get your teammates together, and do this activity over the month of February um, and, you know, build community, support your own mental health and well-being and support the mental health and well-being of others in our community. I can, I can speak to that, Beth, that the importance of connecting to community. You're talking about it in the mental health um, realm. Um, also, in, in the work that we're doing with Adults Emotion is connecting people who potentially could feel isolated otherwise um, with the community and creating that inclusion, and then it leads right to the Titans, for example, right. mm -hmm. who we, are who are who are bringing that in right. and uh, creating that, that. That's our goal, right? Mm -hmm. Connection to the community and and being able to make those connections directly every single game, right? And we we quite often will have a couple of partners. Um, I, I know we have a partner coming up um, with Mr. Farwell here at some point in time um, uh, for CF. Uh, we'll also have Habitat for Humanity. Um, we have, uh, <clears throat> as, with the Waterloo Regional Police Service on February 1st, we're going to kick off Black History Month, 
Right. So connections to community and connection. But Beth, tell us how how do you register? ThePushupChallenge.ca. It's okay, that easy. I think I can write so that. Seriously. ThePushupChallenge.ca. <laughs> okay. And you can choose to support um, and be a part of the team of Waterloo Wellington mm-hmm. by just choosing CMHA Waterloo Wellington from the drop down list. And then we'll be part of a, you'll be part of this community's team. So can you donate online? You can. It's also a fundraiser. Right. So you can make a donation. You can set a fundraising goal um, for you as an individual or for your team. And all the funds that are raised, um, if you register for this community, comes back and supports mental health programs and services in this community. Nice. So just before we run out of time, David, because we're getting close, uh, these are your two weekend home games. Windsor and Montreal are the right. teams. Adults in Motion, the Canadian Mental Health Association of Waterloo-Wellington will be represented how do we get tickets to be a part okay, of this? Okay, so you can buy a ticket to each game, or we have a special on, right? It's called 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10 double feature. So if you come to both games, you can get $10, 10% off each game, and I'm going to give you a $10 merch coupon. Nice. Right? So, uh, <laughs> you know, come on out and support your Titans. Montreal, first time here. First time we're meeting with Windsor this uh, this Saturday. So, you know, a lot of excitement going on. You know, we've had, we're... Two and two for the season. Um, let's bump those numbers up. And and the fans are really, really important. I uh, We had a short road trip with the Rangers last night just to Guelph, but our bus driver, Mike the Moose Reeves, was very excited. He says, we've got to go to one of these basketball games. I said, Moosey, we'll go to one. You're going to want to go to more after that because it's so much fun at the uh, basketball court. So Excellent. So you know what? Uh, KWTitans.com. Uh, get your tickets now. I need you to buy them now, <laughs> right? Um, and it's so funny that the, the last 48 hours uh, before a game is when most people commit to buy the tickets. Of course. Right? So we've got games on, at home on Saturday and Sunday at the Memorial Auditorium Saturday this and Sunday. All right. Odd. David Schooley is the CEO of the KW Titans. Visit kwtitans.com. Get your tickets for this weekend's game when the community partners, Adults in Motion, the executive director and co-founder, Shelley Murphy, thank you very much for being here. Thank you. It was a pleasure. And one of the other partners on Sunday will be CMHA Waterloo-Wellington, Beth King, the fund development manager. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Mike. Great this to is, be here. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. It's always a good time at the good old basketball game. KW Titans have a couple of home games this weekend. You can get your tickets at kwtitans.com. And remember, if you buy for both games this weekend, you'll get a 10% discount and a $10 coupon for Titans merchandise, which is pretty cool. Adults in Motion and the Canadian Mental Health Association of Waterloo-Wellington are the community organizations that will be supported at this weekend's home games versus Windsor on Saturday and Montreal on Sunday. Once again, tickets at kwtitans.com. We've got an update for you from the City News Centre, and then how about those students at the University of Waterloo, eh? It's another app coming out of UW, but this one improves communication between hospital patients and their health care providers. Let's support nurses with the patient companion will tell you about it, or the person who created it will tell us about it. Coming up on the Mike Farwell Show, this is City News 570 and Rogers TV.
Well, we talk an awful lot on this show about health care, and for good reason. Not the least of those reasons, of course, being to satisfy our regular and loyal listener, Bob, who was quite upset last week that we were talking about the Kitchener Rangers when he thought we should be talking about health care. But we do talk about health care an awful lot, and I do believe for obvious reasons. One of the other things that we talk about quite a bit on this show is the innovation and entrepreneurial spirit that exists in this community. And we're going to put those two things together in this next conversation as we are joined by a fourth-year student at the University of Waterloo in biomedical engineering. Christy Lee is with us on the program. Christy, good morning. Good morning. Hi. You have created uh, an app called Patient Companion. What is that? Um, Yeah, so Patient Companion, it's a communication app between patients and nurses. Um, We're trying to reduce the burnout and the stress rate that the nurses are having in hospitals and long-term care centers. And, you know, it's funny because one of those conversations we had just this week on the show about healthcare was about that very thing. It was with a nurses association. They were talking about the burnout, the stress mm-hmm. levels, etc. So, so what does Patient Companion do? Yeah, so it essentially tries to improve the current nurse call system. Um, right now with the current nurse call system, the nurses don't have an idea of what kind of requests the patients are making. Um, so with Patient Companion, they're able to understand what the patients are making the request even before going into the room. So we're able to distribute the workload across personal support workers, volunteers, like clinical aides. Um, so we're trying to reduce the workloads for the nurses. So really, Christy, is what we're talking about here, because I know when a nurse is on shift, they have multiple patients that they have to juggle during that yeah. shift and meet all of those needs, right? So this might be a patient pushing that call button and then this app will help the nurse understand what it is that they're being called for? Yeah, for sure. So a typical nurse is um, they're assigned to five to six patients, sometimes like up to nine patients. So that's a lot of patients. Um, and they don't know which patient uh, requires like the first assistance. Um, so that's where patient companion comes in. Uh, we're trying to prioritize these requests um, so that the nurses know exactly which patients to go to first. Where did you come up with the idea? Mm -hmm. So I volunteered at a hospital and a long-term care center for two years. Um, And while I was volunteering, I was working closely with the nurses and the patients um, and the residents. So I was trying to really help the patients and the nurses, um, trying to reduce the workload for the nurses in terms of helping out the patients and the residents. What's it been like for you, Christy, taking this from the idea that you first have to where you're at today with the creation of this app? What steps did you have to go through to get here? Uh, yeah, a lot of steps, to be honest. Because um, at first, it was it was just an idea and it was just an observation that I um, saw at the hospital and the long-term care center. But um, to make that into a startup, I think it was definitely um, really hard. I, I took many steps in terms of trying to validate the problem further on with other hospitals and other long-term care centers and um, additional nurses across Canada. Uh, So it it was a lot of steps in a way and a lot of meetings and 
interviews, trying to really um, deeply understand the problem because I wanted to make sure that I was solving a problem um, that was faced by uh, multiple nurses across Canada. You had to make some pitches as well, including one to the Velocity Pitch Competition, which I know quite a bit about. Mm -hmm. But is that a nerve-wracking experience to stand up and make that pitch? Uh, Yeah, I would say um, it was my first pitch uh, ever. So it was kind of nerve-wracking at first. um, But I I had a lot of uh, great mentors and advisors who who helped me a lot um, through the process. Is it this idea and what you saw when you were working in healthcare and long-term care, Christy, that led you into biomedical engineering? Uh, yeah, even before, I guess, like volunteering at the hospital and the long-term care center, um, I, I just wanted to make something that could help a lot of people um, in the medical industry. So I knew um, if I wanted to help people in the medical industry, it had to require some um, biomed and then to make something it was the engineering aspects of it so uh, I think it was back in high school I I wanted to pursue biomedical engineering um, for sure where did you attend high school Uh, where did I attend high school uh, in BC, Centennial Secondary School, it's in Coquitlam. Oh, yeah, I know Coquitlam very well, and British Columbia is a beautiful <laughs> province. I bet you miss that right now with this terrible weather we're having. <laughs> yeah, I mean, snow's good, too. Okay, well, you can say that. I've been here too long to say that anymore, Christy. <laughs> you're, you're a fourth-year student at UW, and, and now you've also created Patient Companion. How on earth do you balance being a student and an entrepreneur at the same time? Um, I just do it. <laughs> You're an overachiever. No, you can say it. It's okay. <laughs> uh, no, I, I just try. Um, yeah, I just try my best in all the things I, I can do. So, yeah. <laughs> so It's definitely hard, but yeah. Where does it go from here? Where you're at with patient companion is is the idea is the hope to have this into hospitals, into healthcare settings to to help out, you know, reduce burnout among nurses, etc. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is the plan. Um, we're going through some hospitals right now and long term care centers um, as well, and we hope to extend it across um, Canada along with other hospitals and long term care centers. When you first came up with this idea, Christy, and you began working on this, how much Mm -hmm. support did you find on campus at the University of Waterloo and and surrounding it? Because we're in such an innovative area. How much support did you have getting this done? Uh, Yeah, quite a lot of support. Um, In the beginning, I couldn't really find that support, which is kind of hard. Um, And I think that was just because I didn't know where to find the right resource. Um, But... Last year, September, actually, I've met um, wonderful people through some of the innovation mixers that were that were hosted on campus, and I was able to meet those advisors and mentors who are helping me a lot um, through these days. What was it that attracted you to the University of Waterloo? Uh, it was the program. Uh, I just knew that I wanted to go into biomedical engineering at the University of Waterloo specifically. Um, because the biomedical engineering program we have at Waterloo, it's uh, very unique. It offers um, the things that I wanted to pursue. So I think that uh, I just knew that I wanted to come to Waterloo for biomedical engineering. 
Well, we're certainly glad that you're here. And this is a uh, terrific innovation. Thank you very much for joining the show today to talk about it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Have a great day. Bye-bye. You too. Bye. Christy Lee is a fourth-year University of Waterloo student in biomedical engineering. And prior to coming to UW, which is the school that had the program that she wanted to attend, the biomedical engineering program, she was a volunteer at hospitals and long-term care centers where she worked very closely with patients and the residents there to help reduce the workload for staff. But you see, while she's there... Her mind is spinning, thinking, hang on, if I'm here as a volunteer to help reduce this workload, what might I be able to do with my future applications through biomedical engineering to also help reduce this workload? And so here she is solving problems using the skills and knowledge that she gained through her program at UW. Along comes Patient Companion, which is... Technology that allows the patient to make a specific request that will then automatically prioritize that request on the nurse's end. So non-medical requests for water or blankets can be distributed among personal care workers, for example, maybe volunteers or other available staff, which ultimately reduces the workload for nurses in both those hospital and long-term care settings. Because think about it, right? On average... Nurses are assigned anywhere between five and nine patients each. And more than half of the requests, those who study it have learned, are made by patients who have non-urgent requests at that time. So on occasion, and this happens to the best of us, nurses would forget to come back after asking what the patient needs. 10% of requests get canceled Altogether, but you end up moving. It's almost like putting out fires, right? And so if you're in a non-urgent situation and all of a sudden there's a fire to put out, you might forget to go back and deal with that non-urgent situation, like the blanket or whatever the case may be. So the patient companion app helps take some of that guesswork out of it, helps you triage automatically. It does it for you, triage the requests and reduces workload reduces burnout. Heck, I couldn't even imagine that in the healthcare setting as a nurse. I forget things around here all the time. When I'm moving from one thing to the next thing, oh yeah, I forgot about that thing. I need to keep a pad of paper in front of me and write it all down. So Christy Lee, a fourth year student in biomedical engineering at the University of Waterloo, is trying to help reduce the workload, the stress, and fill in some of these gaps in the setting in the healthcare setting, which I think is just terrific. Uh, Speaking of which, yesterday during the show, when we started the show, I was sharing with you some of the information that came from our community town hall on Tuesday night about our new hospital for the region of Waterloo. And I had some audio that I had wanted to share with you and didn't get to it until close to the end of the show. And then because of the volume of phone calls we had, I couldn't get to all of it. So I want to make sure, as we talk about healthcare, that I get the chance to share that with you this morning. Just to go over some of those highlights from that town hall meeting the other night, uh, it was made clear to us that the hope on the part of the site selection panel 
This is the advisory group that's now shortlisted three sites in the region for the location of the new hospital. They hope to have the site selected by the end of March. So that will be a pretty important piece. A lot of us have a lot of different ideas as to where the hospital will ultimately be. So we're hoping to hear that by the end of March. That's when the site selection committee is hoping to have made its choice. And then we'll move forward knowing what the site is. One of the questions that was raised, and we shared this audio with you on the show yesterday, was around this need for 50 acres. That's one of the key criteria from the selection committee. And there's a group that's advocating quite vocally to have the new hospital located where the Kitchener Memorial Auditorium currently is. But that site, even if you include the uh, Canadian Forces site there, is only 48 acres. So it's just under that 50. And the reason, part of the reason anyway, for that 50 acres is because we're not just talking about something for today and the next 10 years or even the next 20 years. We're talking about something for the next 100 years and even beyond that in the community. That's why the footprint that we're talking about is 50 acres, is as large as it is. And the other piece of audio, and I thought was an interesting question uh, that would be of interest to you, and we didn't get to it yesterday, is the question around how do we sustainably fund this project? There's one thing to build it and get the dollars to do that today, but then how do we keep it operating sustainably into the future? So we'll get that answer from our community town hall about our new hospital right after this quick timeout. Stay with us on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570 and Rogers TV. We just had the chance to speak with a fourth-year biomedical engineering student at the University of Waterloo who has created an app. It's called Patient Companion, and it's a tech solution that will support nurses and help them triage all the various requests they get from the myriad patients they're dealing with on any particular shift. And that got me thinking about healthcare more generally. Earlier this week, Tuesday night, we had a community town hall talking about our new hospital for the region. It was broadcast on Rogers TV. And among the things that came from it by way of highlights, it's hoped that we have a new site uh, selected so we can move forward with one site in mind by the end of March. Uh, There was a question around why we need 50 acres of land, and the answer was generally around this being a generational project. It's supposed to uh, help us meet our healthcare needs for a century and more to come, which I think is very intelligent, visionary thinking. And then another question around funding that I wanted to share with you this morning, because I thought you might also find this interesting. The question raised at the town hall about our new hospital that was broadcast on Rogers TV on Tuesday evening. My name is Jim Stewart, and uh, my question is around scope and transparency for this new project. It was referred to by Ron as phase two of what's happened in our region. And really, I haven't heard any discussion so far about human resources for our new hospital. And obviously, you must have considered how many human resources we would require for a hospital of this size, 1,100 beds, 20 ORs, etc. So I'd like you to speak a little bit about how are we going to fully fund this, these hospital beds? How are we going to have adequate human resources? Because we can build 
a lovely state-of-the-art facility, but if it doesn't have the people, the techs, the surgeons, the physicians, the nurses, etc., how will it function? Right now we have 140 nurses in the region, vacant nurses positions in the region, so we do have a staffing crisis in Waterloo Region. And the other thing that really concerns me is that with respect to phase two, we've seen what's happened with phase one at the Cambridge Memorial Hospital, a standard P3 disaster that's gonna cost two to three times more to get it done without the level of transparency that I think that you people are willing to commit to. And so I'm looking forward to fiscal responsible responsibility with respect to phase two, and I'd like to know how will you share with the community what this is gonna cost under that P3 model, which is hidden under the privatization screen, and how are we going to adequately resource the facility? Thank you. Because you have that 10 years, and because we also live in what I would call the heart of, of innovation, we have an opportunity to actually draw on that to make sure that what we're asking our health human resource experts to do is the important things for them to do, right? So when I talk to frontline staff, one of the things that I hear today that is a real challenge is charting, as an example. It takes me away from my patient. Well, are there innovative ways that we can help to start re resolving those? And then to your second question about how do we make sure we have enough uh, financial resources? Well, part of these types of projects with the Ministry of Health are, no are yes, for sure, about the capital piece, but there's also the operating funding that comes with it. So if we're growing the number of beds that we're talking about, there's operating funding that comes with that growth as well. And if you're you know, building more ORs, more diagnostic imaging, et cetera, there's operating funding that comes with all of that. So right at the beginning of my, of my comments tonight, I talked about a generational project. Hospitals don't get this opportunity very often to make those types of pitches for their community to make sure the operational dollars match what is the demand and the need of the communities they serve. And these types of projects give us that opportunity. That is Ron Gagnon, who is the president and CEO at Grand River Hospital, answering Jim Stewart's question at the hospital community town hall on Tuesday evening of this week at the Kitchener Public Library. Now, that was a really interesting question around the sustainability of funding and how we go about making sure that funding is adequate today and tomorrow and the response from Mr. Gagnon in that regard. All right, we're fast approaching 11.30 and your update from the City News Centre. Uh, it is Thursday morning. That means we take a break, our little palate cleanser, get away from some of the heavier stuff and have some fun and I think we're going to have a lot of fun with this one because I came across a list of the personalized license plate requests that were rejected by the province last year. And I'm sure you're asking yourself, why on earth would you reject somebody's personalized license plate request? I mean, it's, it's their personalized plate. Well, I think you'll get a chuckle out of a couple of them. And then I want to know from you. What's the best personalized license plate you've ever seen? Or if you had one, what would it say? The flip side is coming up on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570 and Rogers TV.
Okay, time to draw back the curtain yet again and provide you some insight that you probably didn't need. No, actually, maybe you do, because you can laugh at my expense. Because the truth of it all is, since I was a wee lad, I thought that personalized license plates were probably the coolest thing ever. In fact, I always, from the moment I thought about driving my first vehicle, I thought, I've got to have personalized license plates. Like, these things just have to be the coolest things ever. And, full disclosure, I have had not one, but two different personalized license plates in my life. They have long since left me. I've moved on from that stage and or phase of life, but I guess it was fun while it lasted. And I don't know if you know this, but there are criteria, of course, that are applied to your application for a personalized license plate. And you can have those applications rejected if the Ministry of Transportation deems anything that you want to put on the plate as, quote-unquote, objectionable. This could be a prohibition on sexual references, obscene language, any allusions to political figures, dignitaries, law enforcement, etc. Devin Robertson is our guy on the other side of the glass. You are a transit user, so I am assuming that a personalized license plate of your own is not something you've often thought of? You know, I actually, I have thought of it from time to time. Really? Just of like, if slash when I get my own car. Yeah. I'd love to have some something stupid put Of course. Me. Well, so any idea, like what would that something stupid be? I'm him. I'm him. <laughs> I'm him. Wait a minute. Him as in like him, him, capital H, I am him? I'm him. Wow. A preemptive strike on who do you think you are? Oh, I'm okay. Him. I like that. Who do you think you are? I'm him. I'm him. I like that. I like that <laughs> a lot. So when I was a kid, my very first car that I bought with my very own money, saved, by the way, from delivering the KW record. I want that to mm, be known. That's right. Nice. I saved my money for years and years, and I bought myself a classic 1969 Ford Mustang. And on that license plate i wanted to get smoking like it's a smoking hot car right oh yeah but smoking shockingly was already taken so i ended up working it out to become smoking one so like i because i tried smoking s-m-o-k-i-n s-m-o-k the number one n it was all gone so ultimately i settled on smoking one my buddies who also had classic cars got smoking two and smoking three. <laughs> I know, I know. But here's the other thing. I do believe smoking two is still around town on the same, I think it's 66, but it's a Plymouth Valiant. So if you see smoking two out there on the road, say hi to my buddy Mike. I know, I had a buddy, my best friend in high school, also named Mike. You wonder why I go by Farwell. Mike's are a dime a dozen. Not that my buddy's a dime a dozen. He's a good guy right there. Anyway, if you see smoking two, say hi to Mike. And then, of course, that was back when you could only get six characters on the plate, right? So S-M-O-K-N-1, smoking one. And then they expanded it. You could get eight. And then I had another idea, you see. When I was attending broadcasting school, we had to make a decision between our first two years were general broadcast knowledge, let's say, in both radio and television. 
In our third year, we had to specialize in one or the other. I chose radio, always wanted to be in radio. And then my buddies who went the other way on the TV side, they just started referring to me all the time as radio guy, radio guy, radio guy. So what did I do as soon as we opened up to eight characters on a license plate? I got the license plate that said radio guy. And that was the last personalized plate I had. The problem became, Devin Robertson, as I worked in this business longer, it drew unnecessary att- attention. <laughs> I, got, I don't need that kind of attention. I love coming into Tim Hortons and talking to you about the Kitchener Rangers. I really do. But I don't need my car to announce my arrival before I get there, if you know what I mean. Yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, it's, it's asking for attention. <laughs> it is. Put simply. And that's where I, like, I'm totally over it. As counterintuitive as that sounds because I'm still on the radio, but I'm over that kind of attention. So the radio guy license plates have also been hung up, and I'm just a whatever with, like, I've got just the standard plate that comes, whatever my time is in the alphabet. You don't need to know that I'm coming before I get there, if you know what I mean. (laughs) So here are, and I've shared this story before. When I was another friend in high school, uh, his name was Jerry Brienza Jr., so his father, obviously, a Jerry Brianza. If the Brianzas are listening, I'm sorry to tell your tales out of school, literally, but Jerry was a classmate of mine at St. Jerome's High School. And his family tried to get a personalized license plate that featured the initials of all of the names of the kids in the family. So this was a Jerry spelled with a J, by the way, just like St. Jerome's, Jerry's. And they came up with Jam Job as an acronym for every initial in the family. I don't know all the kids' names, but and the B being Brienza, their last name. And the Ministry of Transportation said, way back in the 1980s, you cannot have that license plate that says jam job. Looking back, I guess I, 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 guess I get it. Uh, I'm, I'm calling boo on <laughs> You're that. Calling, <laughs> I'm calling boo. Okay, I wonder if you'd call boo on any of these. And... What I've done to make this easier on you, I'm going to encourage you to visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash the Mike Farwell show, because I think you'll need to look at it for a moment before it all sets in. But here are some of the plates rejected in Ontario last year. Zero, zero, FKS, GVN. <laughs> yeah, you got it, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. C-R-A-Z, B-T-C-H. I think we get that one, yep. too. Frig's sake, not allowed to even have frig. So forget that first one, zero, zero, FKS, GVN. You can't even have frig's sake. I really like this one, and I wish it had been allowed. I'm, I am, dot, L8, for late, dot, AF. And we all know what, <laughs> right? Exactly. That's a good one, but they couldn't do it. How about this one? STU, dot, P-I-T-T, right? You get it. Uh, I can't even spell the next one, so you'll just have to, <laughs> you'll have to look it up on our Facebook page. Uh, I think this, okay, one zero, the number 10, N-M as in Nancy Mary, I-N-M-A-N. Look it up on Facebook, decide for yourself what it means. How about two three, S-W-N-G-R, can't be a swinger on your license plate. And finally, B I G S E X E E. Can't have it on your license plate. Again, check out our Facebook page, facebook.com slash the Mike Farwell Show. Play a little game of bumper stumpers. 
yourself. I'm him. I kind of like. You can't get radio guy. I took it. And I'm not giving it back. I'm just not putting it on my car anymore. <laughs> I don't need to. I'm him. He's him. I'm him. He's him. Don't put your arms out like that when you say that. That's going to be even worse. <laughs> and remember, if you see smoking too out there on the road somewhere, say hi to my buddy, Mike. Uh, what's the best personalized license plate that you have ever seen? Or if you were to get one, what would it say? That's our flip side question for you today. 519-570-2545. Star 570, 1-800-570-5715. Ted, good morning. Good morning, Mike. Uh, here's a couple that were approved because I've seen them on vehicles. The first one I thought was uh, kind of cute. It was uh, in Toronto driving around. I saw a very nice Mercedes with a license plate saying, was is oh yeah uh better one that i thought was brilliant that i've seen around here is l t g eight o r and you're supposed to figure out for a living is it later gator close keep going oh litigator 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 an attorney at law yes sir there you go. <laughs> well done, Ted. Thank you for that. That's a lot of fun. Uh, let's go next to Kyle. Kyle, good morning. Good morning. Okay, well, I have currently uh, custom license plates on my current car, and it was transferred from my grandfather to my dad, now to me, and I want to keep them, and it says Stariata, and for those that are Slovenian, know that Stariata means old man, and we got them for my 80th, or for my grandfather's 80th birthday. We got them customized license plates. So I thought I'd keep it, but my next pair of license plates are going to be customized for myself are going to say Polka 89. <laughs> Polka 89. What's the significance of 89? That's the year I was born. year you were born. I had a feeling, you young anybody, bugger. I don't think anybody in 1989 is going to have to worry about that because I don't think there's many people in my generation that listen to Polka. So Fair. I think I'm pretty good. So there you go. Those are the two ones. Thanks there, Mike. Thanks, Kyle. Appreciate that. Polka 89. See, now, if I were... A fan of polka, I'm not sure I'd put it on my license plate. No, that's okay. Polka your face off. I love it. Jason, good morning. Morning. So Kyle is only, what, 34? With all his wisdom, I always thought he was much older than 34. <laughs> he's a, he's a very I wise did, young man. I did the math. Anyways, my I actually have personalized license plate, and they're STLRS 36. I love it. Jerome Bettis of the Pittsburgh Steelers, buddy. That is correct. It's great going down to Pittsburgh, but going to Cleveland, which I've done in the past, they look at that and like, oh, really? we got to park your car? I love That's dangerous, man. You might not find that car in the same condition when you pick it up. I've never been back to Cleveland since, Mike. Attaboy. <laughs> Thanks, Jason. That's really cool. Uh, fly your sports team's flags on your license plates. See, what I would do is I would put TB12 on a plate and then drive it to New England. Because you see... The original TB12, you can take all the Tom Brady's that you want. It was actually Terry Bradshaw. Oh, did I love that guy. And I may also be inclined for the Steelers 36 that Jason has. I might go Steelers 32 for the original. And now late, oh, broke my heart. Franco Harris. That's just, you know, my 10 cents on that. Colleen, good morning. Good morning to you, Mike. How are you today? I'm great, thank you. How are you today? I'm fabulous. Good. So I have a story about some license plates. Okay. Um, they are mine, and they say M I S S 
Miss. Okay, M I S S, Miss. I thought it was F F, like Farwell, Farwell. Okay, M I S S, Miss. Yep, M I S S, Miss, and then C L T. Miss C L T. Yep, and I have had those for years. Okay. And the police chuckle at it. I've been stopped. And um, there's no I there. It's C L T. Thank you for emphasizing that part, which I was getting concerned about. Yeah, and those are my initials. Of course. And it was passed by MTO um, many years ago. (laughs) Hang on, uh, Colleen. You get Miss CLT and my friend couldn't get Jam Job? Like, what's going on here? Exactly. (laughs) Yep. Oh, yeah. But uh, what can I say? I'm blessed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I do get some deer looks and weird looks and honks and all kinds of things. But it wasn't meant derogatory. Of course not. I've never been married, and those are my initials. Well, if the license plate fits, wear it. (laughs) Thank you, Mike. You have a great day. Thanks, Colleen. You too. That's, uh, That's pretty good. Okay, so I'll share this one too. And if you've seen it around town, like honest to goodness gracious. And, no, I'm positive this is what it says. So you know how when Jason called, I was reminded of it. You can get license plates with sports teams' logos on them, right? Like if you're a Leafs fan, you can get the Leafs thing on there. You can get your school insignia, for example. You can get Blue Jays. And and th- this friend of mine who happens to be female and loves, like, literally loves baseball and the Toronto Blue Jays, has one of the Blue Jays logos, and the license plate reads L-U-V, love, B-J-S. I'm going to leave that right there, but I kid you not, that vehicle drives around this community. And yet, again, my friends in high school could not get jam job. L-U-V, BJS, true as the day is long. Sean, good morning. I have to follow Miss CLT and love BJS. That's correct. That is your uh, situation today, sir. Holy smoke. (laughs) Uh, I love that you referenced bumper stumpers. Uh, My brother was a contestant on bumper stumpers. As if. Enjoyment to this day. Yes, I was supermarket sweep. He was bumper stumper. That's amazing. pretty awesome i have to tell you though i've been trying i had been trying for quite some time to get a license plate on some variation of my last name slash my nickname right last name for faro tried to get furfy different different levels of fur or something and everything everything gets denied do you know why no because honestly and i've had to say this many times you can't spell for faro without fu it starts with FU, and they will not give me the license plate. <laughs> I'm not joking. So now that we're in the alphabetical sequence and we're into the Ds, I'm just waiting for that moment. If there's any license, four-digit license plates that come up with the FU on it, i got to find the F-U-R-F and just get, a, get one in sequence. But That's yeah. good, actually. You keep trying, Miss, yeah. I know. Miss CLT and Love BJS works, but I can't get a FURF out there. You can get a FURF right here, FURF. Have a great day. Thanks, you too. Okay, so here's another example, and it looks legit. 
I'm going to take Wes at his word, and it again, it's an actual license plate on the back of a vehicle. Am I being, Devin Robertson, am I being punked here? The license plate reads, okay, are you ready? Yep. Was this photoshopped? P-O-O. Okay, yeah, you're chuckling already. Space. L-V-R. So you either love it or you leave it, but you're, come on. But that works. Apparently, unless this was a photoshopped photograph, P-O-O-L-V-R. But no jam job. And no license plate that starts with F-U. I mean, not F-U-F-U, but if your last name is, if your last name begins with the letters F and U, you can go no further according to the Ministry of Transportation. So you can't even have, like, fun? You can't even have fun. That's an excellent point. You know why? Because we live in Ontario. It's the province that fun forgot. We'll continue with the flip side. (laughs) This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. We're talking about the 5,000-plus personalized license plate applications rejected by our Ministry of Transportation last year, including one of my favorites, im.l8.af. <laughs> I mean, can't we just have a sense of humor about it? I suppose not. And it made me wonder uh, what plate you have had or seen or would have if you could have a license plate that was personalized by your own very self. Karen sends an email to Mike at 570news.com, says, a friend I work with had fun governor on her plate. So you can have F-U. So maybe we can just get the good old-fashioned fun there, Devin. Maybe we were misled by FERF. Maybe it's the FERF part that gets him in trouble. I don't know. Yeah, hard to say. Yeah. I mean, I could have a license plate that says Smurf and nobody would complain because I am only three apples high. So <laughs> I can confirm that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go back to the phones and hear from you. Walter, good morning. Good morning. Uh, Mike, listen, I got uh, a story that's uh, you know kind of interesting. A number of years ago, I worked with a guy, and he was a big Red Rider fan. Um, As in Tom Cochran and? Uh, yes. Okay. And so he, he had Red Rider on, on his plates on a vintage Monte Carlo. Well, um, on... Uh, on his birthday one year, he was such a fan that his wife actually took it upon herself to contact Tom's mother, who is in Cambridge. That's where Tom is from, and I guess she pled her case. And, you know, and so they got to go over to his house a couple of days before Christmas to meet Tom and his family. And Tom walked out and he saw the Red Rider on his car, and he was upset he said i've been trying to get that license plate for years and you're the guy that has it <laughs> and my buddy and my buddy turned it over to him uh he, um he actually uh you know like let him have it and they got to sit down and have a christmas meal with uh tom cochran his family and his mother uh, over here in cambridge one year and i always thought that was a pretty cool story i love it walter thanks for that i didn't know Tom Cochran was originally from Cambridge. If the family is still there, I think we need to uh, make a connection here at some point. Mary, good morning. Oh, 
I love that story. It's a great story, isn't it? So Walter fun. bringing some great stuff to the show today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't, I don't have any special license plates, but I'm giving a shout-out to Kyle if he has uh, two vehicles that he needs license plates. How about Ketchup King on one of them? Uh, if he could make it fit. Well, he can make it fit. K-T-C-H-P-K-N-G, maybe? I don't know. I don't know, but okay. I'm sure he'll figure it out. <laughs> He's a smart lad. All right, Mary, thank you very much for that. Uh, Wes emailed back, by the way, about the uh, P-O-O LVR plate. He insists this is legit. (laughs) So, okay, Uh, thanks to Tom for uh, sharing a photo of the plate on on the back of a uh, beautiful purple Ford Mustang that says PRPL. H-A-Z-Z. Anybody who's a fan of Jimi Hendrix will understand a little purple haze with that one. Well done. And the lists just go on and on from there. I will encourage you once again, do check out our Facebook page today. I thought it would be the best place to list so you don't have to try to do the mental gymnastics. You can just play a little bumper stumpers for yourself when you look at the license plates that were rejected by the Ministry of Transportation in the past year. O-M-G dot K-I-N-G. Why can't you have, oh my God, King? Did I miss something there? Anyway, check it out. Facebook.com slash The Mike Farwell Show. And thanks for playing along with us on the flip side this morning. It's time to get you to the City News Center for your noon update. And you know what happens next. It's 60 minutes of open line radio during the 12 o'clock talkback hour. Uh, Our friends at Rogers TV are done for another day. So thanks to Robert and the entire team for producing the TV side of this show. They'll be back with us tomorrow from 10 until noon. The update from the City News Center, and then we continue with the Mike Farwell Show and the 12 o'clock talkback hour on City News 570. And so long, Rogers TV. Take out the papers and the trash. Just finish cleaning up your room. Let's see that dust fly with that broom. Get all that garbage outside. Or you don't go out Friday night. Don't go back. Oh, but please do. Talk back to me, baby. 519 570 2545. Star 570. And 1-800-570-5715. I want to quickly, before going to the phones, just go back to something we talked about at the beginning of the show today when we gave you the Farwell Show 5 things that you want to keep in mind for the day. And one of them was around what I'm referring to as this regional governance road show that's in Kitchener today. And this is the province's feeble attempt, in my opinion, to at least be able to say with some degree of authenticity, a kernel of truth, if you will, that it consulted regional governments in this community or, or pardon me, in this province or communities with regional governments on, you know, how those systems are operating for them, et cetera. There was going to be a facilitator appointed way back in the day. The facilitator never arrived. And now what we have is a standing committee that's going to report back to the Ministry of Municipal Affairs and Housing. Even the ministry is not represented 
at these meetings today. The minister himself, Paul Calandra, is not here. So to me, it's just a little bit of smoke and mirrors, kind of a dog and pony show. So they can say, yeah, we consulted and, you know, that's pretty much it. We're going to move on from there. Kind of like that report that was prepared by our former regional chair, Ken Sealing, his colleague, Michael Fenn, that we've never seen the contents of. We have no idea what Messrs. Sealing and Fenn came up with, what recommendations, if any, were contained in that report. For the record, it's ours, right? Like, we are the people of this province, but for whatever reason, I get, I must be too racy to read that report. You know how I feel about unification, because I know many of you get your backs up when you hear the A-word amalgamation in this community. But we, it just makes no sense to me. It, it makes absolutely zero sense to me that we continue operating in this two-tier municipal structure. But that's just me. And we got a call earlier this morning when I brought this up from Richard, who said, look, you know, we might want to move in the direction of a services board as opposed to a regional government. And, and Richard said that the regional government gets in the way of development because when a city wants to develop land, it has to ask the region for approval. And I'm like, I don't think that sounds right. And as you know, we have a a number of municipal politicians that check in on our show from time to time to hear what we're talking about, maybe to get a sense of what the concerns are in the community today. And I've had many messages confirming what I thought to be correct. And that is, no, if a city wants to develop in its own geographical boundary, it can go right ahead and do that. You don't need the say-so from the regional government in that regard. However, when it comes to affordable housing, that's a bit of a different story because the regional government is the affordable housing provider. And we've talked about this on the show before. And while there may be some sense of getting clearance from the upper level of government, really, the partnership has been great in terms of a city wanting to do something innovative in the affordable housing space and the region saying, yep, let's get it done. However, when it comes to straight-up development, the city need not ask the region for permission to do anything on its own land, which changes nothing for me when it comes to what I think to be a very antiquated structure of how we do things around here. And as you heard in that Noon Hour update with Jonathan Strom, I mean, come on. Like, I'm not alone in thinking it's just a wee bit cheeky, am I? That there is a group of local mayors who are issuing, in mere minutes, their own statement on building stronger communities, working together to build more homes and stronger communities. And that statement, with the mayors of Cambridge, Kitchener, North Dumfries, Wellesley, Wilmot, and Woolwich, being made in a meeting room at the same hotel where this regional governance roadshow is happening today. Like, I was born at night, but not last night. Come on with your coming on. It's cheeky. It's very cheeky. I'm hoping to have the opportunity to bring Kitchener Mayor Barry Verbanovic onto the show before the end of this hour. And I will be blunt in my assessment of the cheekiness of this particular endeavor. 
anyway, I just wanted to readdress that to make sure we had the accurate information out there if you were with us from the beginning of the show. And if not, now you understand the context. Let's get to the phones. Rory, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Mike. Hope things are well. Uh, it is well, thank you. How about with you? Uh, no complaints. There are very few, I guess. Um, I guess, you know, uh, I think I sound like a broken record when I talk about regional governance here. Where is the Ken Sealing report? Where is the golden the golden document that uh, that leads us to the promised land? It's it's something that um, you know the government keeps blocking from from being released, and I, I'm I'm really curious as to why. Uh, and of course, you know when I look at I looked at the list of of people that are going to be speaking to this committee today, and. Of course, the majority of them, as you probably see on the list, too, are all politicians and likely fighting for their piece of ground or piece of territory. And so it will be interesting to see how much value we actually get out of this committee. But I I keep saying, let's get this report out and and let's see what Mr. Thieling has to say. It's a shame he won't come out and and talk and and too bad he's not on uh, that list of of uh, attendees because uh, that thing needs to to be made public. You know, Rory, you know a little bit about a little bit, and I I think that like when you bring up Ken Sealing and why he won't uh, speak out publicly, I wonder if there is still a non-disclosure agreement by which he is bound, and maybe if and when that expires, he could. I don't know. It's just a thought I had. It could be, Mike, uh, and uh, it's quite likely Ford has a has a tendency of, uh, you know, silencing people and uh, doing things behind closed doors. So it doesn't surprise me that uh, he may either be, uh, you know, uh, able to not comment. Maybe he doesn't want to get involved, <laughs> quite <laughs> frankly. Maybe he doesn't want to step on on uh, Miss Redmond's uh, shoes. I'm not quite sure, but it, it just seems to me that you would spend, I believe, millions of dollars, Mike, or certainly a significant amount of money, and then you would just shelf the report without without even a small snippet of 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 of, of what the report entailed. It's a, it, again, it's like the service of Ontario. It's like the green belt. We, we 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 the truth just seems to maybe be sitting somewhere else, and maybe the truth hurts uh, to some people. I don't know, Mike, but I'm you know I'm just kind of perplexed how we have all these committees, we have all these press conferences and yet what we believed to have been you know a very important report that may actually kind of kickstart a lot of conversation Mike because I'm ready to have the conversation um, I'm worried a little bit in terms of you know how how, how the townships will kind of progress in a in a larger entity but as you know uh, mr. Jackson uh, on your show this week kind of kind of mentioned like you know Let's be open-minded and let's be cognizant of some of the smaller communities and make sure they're not left behind in this. But I, I just don't understand how somebody as esteemed as Mr. Steeling, uh, who, quite frankly, was you know a fantastic leader in Waterloo Region for what you know a couple of decades. Um, why is it that his voice is silenced in all this? And uh, so you know, uh, would like to see that report released at the same time that they release their findings of their governance review, Mike. 
Rory, I appreciate the call. Thanks very much for making it. And thanks for your interest in and passion for this particular topic. I'll tell you why I'm passionate about it. And that's because it's about our future prosperity, as far as I'm concerned. I think there has been for too long a, a tremendous deal of protectionism within the individual wards within our community. Everybody wants to protect their own little piece of turf. And and I think it's to the detriment of our children and their future and their future economic prosperity in this community. I believe that. And I could be wrong. Like Rory said, at least can we have the conversation? Can we can we see this report and and learn what these experts and their deep experience helped to uncover? in the time they spent preparing that report. Just going back to the list of folks who are appearing before this standing committee on heritage, infrastructure, and cultural policy today, the regional governance dog and pony show, if you will. It's, I find it, in my opinion, reasonably balanced between politicians and others, and I would say between pro unification and and con. Nicholas Ermetta, for example, is a counselor in Cambridge who has publicly talked about the idea of Cambridge going it on its own. Let Kitchener-Waterloo and the townships amalgamate, but leave Cambridge out of it. He is on the list of speakers, along with the mayor of Wellesley, Joe Nowak. Uh, Kitchener City Councillor Scott Davey is on the list. I've spoken with Scott at some length in the past, and I believe him to be of the mind that we are better off as a single tier. His mind may have changed. To be fair, I haven't spoken to him directly about this issue in quite some time. Uh, Mayor Barry Verbanovic is at this meeting today. Uh, I think we know where he stands, and he's all for the the current system remaining in place. Uh, Tim Jackson, who was on our show yesterday and is very pro-unification, is speaking. Also, Dan Clements with the group Citizens for Cambridge uh, is, and I, I believe Dan to be very much in favor of unification, and he's speaking today as well. So I, 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 would, I would submit to you that there's a decent balance there between the yeas and the nays when it comes to the idea of unification. But no matter what gets said today, I'm not certain that anything more will come of this other than the province saying we've checked the box of consulting with communities and we're going to move on from there. Bob, good afternoon. It's the 12 o'clock talk back. How are you, sir? Well, I'm very good, thank you, Robert. How are you? Okay. Good. Have you liked all the health care talk we've had on the show this week? Yeah. Good. I'm glad, I'm glad I had my name ahead before you do that. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm here for you, buddy. I'm here to help you out. Thank you. Um, about your license, please? Yeah. I think I'd have to have one that's supposed to live. Sorry, you, you think what? I'd have to have a plate that said vote. Live. Oh, it would say Vote. Lib. <laughs> oh, yeah, I got gotcha. you. I, I, well, and I'm not surprised coming from you. However, that might go against the policy of allusions to uh, political figures, etc. So you might not be able to get that license plate. Oh, no. I was going to say, do you, I don't know if people realize, underneath Doug Ford, great times in hospitals have got worse. And he was going to eliminate... Hallway medicine. So that's another thing he, people should ask him about. 
All right, Bob. As always, I appreciate the call. And if you want to vote lib, listen to Bob and get a license plate just like the one he suggests. We'll take a quick break. Come back with more of your 12 o'clock talk back hour. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. It is our 12 o'clock talk back hour. Every day from 12 until 1, we open up the phone lines so that we can hear from you here on the program. Right back to the phones we go. Andre, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Mike. Um, first, I guess I'm misbehaving, but it, it doesn't matter. It's in the past, but sorry for uh, the Steelers. <laughs> Andre, why, why you got to kick a guy when he's down? That is misbehaving, Andre. I know. It's okay. It's okay. I'm I'm looking at uh, brighter years ahead, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> I just I was say that means that I, at least I was thinking about you. Thank you for thinking about me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh because both teams lost, right? In a way they and now they're there. But anyway, back to serious Mike. I know Jeffrey called one time and said that uh you didn't have a job and uh <clears throat> um but to me your job is your passion. You're a very lucky man uh, doing what you've been doing, um, especially on a ring too, what you've been doing. I'm pretty sure that all fans and all players or all ex-coaches or whatever you want to call it, you know, those young fellas move on and they all remember you. I just want to say that to you. <laughs> um, so uh, also where I'm going with this, Mike, is – I always said that one day, you know, you should sit on a built-in board on a road and just, you know, publicize yourself because you are so the the welcome in our town and you do so much. Andre, listen, I I love you like a brother. I get, you know, people email me and say, how do you walk out of that studio after Andre pumps your tires so full? Like, it's very nice of you, but it, honestly, you, you, you exaggerate, my friend. You exaggerate. No, 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 yes, no, you do so. Okay, so next point. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Please. You embarrass me. So That's okay. So continue is for what you do in the community. That's why I watch your show. <laughs> Thank you. I've talked to you a lot about my life, what's happening, and I... I I love sharing it. I love sharing strength or even down. But, you know, what happened to me for the last couple of weeks and what I, this is why I'm calling to everybody because we are all people. And when stuff happens, don't be afraid of opening the window and talk about it like I did and to receive help, um, through, especially through your show, you know, Helen Fishbird and different group and one I remember. So in my case, because a lot is happening, and the ball's rolling with all the support in our community that is only here, only here. Um, example, the Opportunity Center, the BIA, Britain Engineering Association, Travers, uh, their, uh, CNIB, and they're all helping me to live my life independent again so I can get myself, you know, new banking, a P.O. box, uh, learn to live independently, stuff like that, so that I can continue at least... Like I said to your uh, John Sebastian Scott, to hopefully be near my kids, to be there for them, continuing being there for them, and having mediation with my wife, 
but not living together. So I'm help, I'm I'm saying thank you for all the support, and I want to share it to others. Don't be afraid talking about it. Don't be afraid to be honest because once that ball gets going, it feels good and it's so much less way. Go Rangers, and thank you for that joy, Mike, for the Rangers. Thank you, Andre. Listen, it's the Rangers bringing you the joy, my friend. It certainly is. They're bringing me a whole hell of a lot of joy, too. So, boys, do me a favor, okay? Keep it up. Keep it up twice this weekend. If you know what I'm, you know what I'm saying here, you boys there on East Avenue, let's go. Andre, I'm glad you have found the supports that you need in the community. There is help available. It's not always as accessible as we would like it, that is for sure. But a lot of times, half the battle is reaching out to find that support. I'm glad you have. Grant, good afternoon. Oh, no. When he laughs like this, I get nervous, just so you know. I'd love to be your... I'd, I would love to have you as my boss. Cause it, it's, I'd love to talk back to people. You would love to have me as your boss? Yeah. No. Why? What makes you think I would be a good boss? Just to tell me to do something, and I'll tell you, no, I'm not going to do it. Well, then I would not keep you as an employee, Grant. But you nice, so you have no choice. I would have a choice. If I'm the boss and you're the employee and I say you need to do this and you say no, I'd say, see you later, Grant. I'm going to go find a new employee. Yeah, but you can't do that. Yes, I can. Not when it's unionized. Aha. And there is the rub, isn't it? It's, it you know what? It's so true. It's so True. It's very difficult. I have heard from many a manager and many an employer who say, you know what? It's easier to keep people than go through the process of having to relieve them of their duties and retrain somebody else. These are the challenges. Grant, you're a little bit of a a disturber. A little bit of a disturber, but that's okay. We need things being disturbed from time to time here on the show. Speaking of things being disturbed from time to time. That 12-15 media conference with mayors of Kitchener and Cambridge and the townships. I've just received word that what they are calling for is a new vision for local government, which includes improving service delivery for housing-related infrastructure and implementing the transfer of the regional planning function to local municipalities as prescribed by Bill 23. I got a better idea. Let's just eliminate one layer of local government, eh? Anyway, we hope to talk more about that uh, before the end of this 12 o'clock talk back hour. A quick update from the City News Center and then back with more of your calls right after this on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570. At the risk of repeating myself, it would be really cool like super cool if we as drivers stopped running into trains that are carrying commuters around town i i know i'm asking a lot because holy hannah if this doesn't happen quite a bit but i'll just remind you again here is the beauty of operating a motor vehicle in this city in the areas where the trains run the trains are on tracks And I promise you, the train will never leave the track. It won't do it. I I promise. So your job as the driver of the vehicle is to just stay out of the way of the tracks. You see, because the tracks are there. You can see them. 
You can see the tracks. The train will be on the tracks. As long as you go nowhere near the tracks with your vehicle, you're going to be just fine. Let's work on this, okay? (laughs) It is your 12 o'clock talkback hour here on the program. We do it every day from noon until 1, so we can have a conversation with you. And Mike, it's over to you on the 12 o'clock talkback. Good afternoon. Hey, Mike, I'd like to talk about this regional reform stuff. Sure thing. I don't think by having the mayor, the existing mayors, the existing regional councillors testify before that committee um, will achieve nothing because you have vested in, interests in each of these people. Um, I just think it's totally ridiculous to have 60 people manage 750000 when you do a comparison to other jurisdictions. My other concern is, Mike, even if we amalgamate, break up, or whatever, will they achieve the savings or will the special interests um, use their influence and we will not achieve any savings and stuff like that? So I think what really needs to be done, Mike, is if a breakup or amalgamation occurs, then we need like a provincial supervisor uh, to make sure it happens and to make sure the savings do happen. Um, my biggest fear is that the status quo and the inertia in our government in the region of Waterloo will continue if we do not have an independent person driving this. Um, I, I hear you've spoken on this many, many times over the years here, but it's it's ridiculous to have a 10% tax increases like these guys are talking. Um, can't they do zero budgeting? Can't they do any cuts before they come to us? Um, they can't even keep the roads plowed. Um, so how, how, how do we expect them to be able to manage an amalgamation or a breakup? That's my thoughts for the day. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate that. And it's a fair question. I, I too, wonder and maybe worry a little bit about our ability to do big things across the board in this country, it just feels to me as though our capacity to do those big things is backsliding a little bit. And to Mike's point on having a provincial facilitator here to ensure that the necessary or expected cost savings are realized in the event of any sort of amalgamation, I've read the research, I've heard the arguments that in the end, these amalgamations don't end up in cost savings. And I'm here to tell you, I don't care. I do not give one tinker's darn whether or not we save money. Although I would like to do a deeper dive into how those conclusions are arrived at. Because just here in the region, for example, when you have eight different councils, Each of those councils is supported by eight different administrative bodies. Surely, if you took those eight different councils and made them one, you would not need all of the staff, all of those administrative bodies, to manage the one council, would you? We have eight different chief administrative officers, and I'm not trying to pick on or say that chief administrative officers do a poor job. But instead of eight, we could have one, right? And 
CAOs, chief administrative officers, are, are paid pretty handsomely. So surely there is a cost savings. And surely also you could have a chief administrative officer for a community of 650,000 people. Surely you could have one that does that. It's the same when we talk about fire departments and how there are seven and there's only one fire or one police service, one paramedic service, etc. So I, I just, I, I don't, I honestly don't know how you couldn't <laughs> save money, to be honest with you. But even if you didn't, I don't care. I think that this is a system that sets us up better for our future growth. We need to get out of one another's way when it comes to planning and building and economic development. I've heard far too many times about what could have been, what might have been with Schneiders, for example, if we as a region could have come together and made a pitch to keep Maple Leaf Foods operating here. Instead, off it goes to Hamilton because it's almost like we compete with one another, right? Cambridge is competing with Kitchener, which is competing with Wilmot and... I don't know. And then when you, if you are Maple Leaf Foods and you say, okay, I'm going to consider this place here in the region of Waterloo. Well, you might be there with the mayor of a city. You might be there with the regional chair. You might have the CAO from each, planners from each level of government, right? Not to mention our economic development committee goes on from there. That's a lot of people for one meeting to attract and retain one business. Anyway, we continue on the 12 o'clock talk back by saying good afternoon to Kyle. Hello, Kyle. Good afternoon. So you're telling me that I can't, the train doesn't have the right of way because they're on a, on a fixed course. I, I'm just trying to get my head around that, right? But the train is never going to leave. I just, I just have to think about that for a minute. Yeah. So the train does have the right of way. It's always on the fixed course. So just, oh, okay. yeah. I just, I just can't believe that it is. Okay. Anyways. Oh, okay. You can, are you sure you can't believe that, Kyle? Are you pulling my leg today? I better go get my driver's license to be examined, right? Uh, <laughs> anyways, okay, I got uh, three quick points. First of all, Mary, I appreciate the comment on the license plate. I thought about it, too. It wouldn't fit, so that's why I'm sticking with Polka. Two, Jay, thanks a lot for uh, thinking that I'm older than I am. I uh, put all my knowledge towards Wikipedia. That's how I learn everything. Oh, my goodness. And, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the third option is, is I know this whole... Now, I heard on the news, I think it was Aaron Anderson or whoever... Said that these guys are all at the Crown Plaza. Is that, is that what they're doing today? They're, they're at a Crown Plaza hotel uh, delegating if they want to amalgamate or not. Is that correct? Uh, yes. High level, that's where they are and what they're doing. So why are they renting out a facility if they could just do it at the region of Waterloo? Why are we wasting even more taxpayers' money renting out a facility uh, or a hotel or whatever to accommodate all these people when they could just have a meeting at the regional Waterloo, the city of Kitchener, the city of Waterloo, maybe even Cambridge. Like, like I understand it's not about saving money, but, I mean, come on, isn't it a little bit of common sense to just have it at wherever you're going to have your meeting at? Well, in the case of the standing committee of the provincial government, they must, I think, appear to be neutral. So your provincial tax dollars are renting out whatever room or rooms at the Crown Plaza for the governance roadshow. The other room, you're right, maybe this, I don't know, maybe the city of Kitchener could have hosted it instead of having it at the Crown Plaza, but I think you understand why they had it at the Crown Plaza. 
because all our taxpayers' money is going to that, so they got free lunch. <laughs> no, they just want to. They want to be <laughs> cheeky, Kyle. They're trying to. You see, see, you can do this over in this room, but while you're doing that in that room, we're going to do this over in this room. All right. Okay. Thanks, Kyle. Oh my goodness. Uh, when it was brought up earlier, the who's at the dog and pony show for the standing committee on heritage and whatever else it's called. Uh, do I still have that link open? No, I don't. Maybe I, hang on. I can get this real quick. It is the standing committee on heritage infrastructure and cultural policy. And I went through some of the folks who were included in that. One of the folks who wished to be concluded or included, pardon me, but was ultimately excluded was regional counselor, Jim Erb. And again, I'm biased, but I got a lot of time for Jim's perspective because he is a pro-unification counselor who's on council. So perhaps he doesn't care enough about his fiefdom to try and protect it. But nonetheless, uh, Jim shared with, I assume, several members of the media yesterday the presentation he would have made but was excluded from the presenter's list. And it begins by saying this submission is to register my strong support for a single-tier municipality for Waterloo Region. From my time as a member of Waterloo City Council for eight years and now a member of Waterloo Region Council, I have been a longtime advocate of a single municipality for Waterloo Region. Today, from my front-row seat as a regional councillor, I believe in municipal reform more than ever. Despite being one of the fastest-growing municipalities in Canada, Waterloo Region has an outdated and cumbersome governance system that gets in the way of us achieving our true potential. I could not have said it better myself. That's just the beginning of what Jim Erb's comments would have been if he had been allowed to present to that standing committee on heritage infrastructure and cultural policy. Alas, he was denied such an opportunity. We'll go back to the phones. It's Mark on the 12 o'clock talk back. Hello, Mark. Hello, Ranger Mike. <laughs> how you doing, buddy? Good. Good. Mike, how, how many acres is, uh, you, you probably don't know this top of your head, maybe you do, is uh, Qantas Park where the swimming hole is. Oh, my goodness. I haven't the foggiest, my friend. That place is huge. It's a huge area. Have they ever considered that micro-hospital? Well, the only thing that comes to mind, Mark, off the top of my head, first of all, you're talking about some pretty valuable green space, which we, I think, need more of in the community. And the other piece of that is accessibility, right? We want to get it close to transit. We want to get it close probably to the expressway and things like that. Okay, that's really not too far out of the way, though, Mike. Um, no, not too know. far out of the way, but is it is it on the LRT line? No, it is not. No, right? And it's a little bit off the beaten path for the expressway, right? I'll bet it's at least 50 acres, though, Mike. Yeah, yeah. again, I, I really don't know the size, but I would be personally reluctant to take away park space in exchange. I know, I know the hospital is important, don't get me wrong, but I think park space does a good job of helping us avoid future hospital stays. Okay, good point. Good point, Mike. You always right. got good points. I try. Okay, one more thing, Mike. Yes, sir. Two giant games come up. Oh, Marcus. Buddy, two, I'm telling two you. Two like, giant. I might not come to work tomorrow. I'm so <laughs> amped for these games. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. 
I hear you, Mike. Yeah, buddy. Listen, what, what did I tell you about yesterday's game? I said Rangers ruled. They will. They were smoking. They were smoking. They ruled last night for sure. It was a weird one in Guelph. I, I just, I to be honest with you, I didn't love the Guelph Storms game. I, they were they were pretty uh, uh, a pretty easy mark last night for some reason. Okay, so yeah, big big games coming up. Big Mike. games um, coming up. Go Rangers, go baby! You got it, pal. Okay, Mike. Thanks, Mark. See you, buddy. <laughs> it was a big win for the Rangers last night, which just sets the stage for a couple of big games. This weekend, if you've been under a rock, it is a back-to-back home-and-home series with the London Knights. Friday night at the Memorial Auditorium, Saturday at Budweiser Gardens in London. And let me tell you, it is going to be jam-packed. Here's my simple request of you, good friend. When you come to the game on Friday night at the Memorial Auditorium, and I know you're coming... We're going to have like 7,400 in there, I'll bet you. I can't wait. Bring da noise, okay? As much noise as you can bring. I want that place to shake on its very foundation. That's how much fun we're going to have on Friday night at the Memorial Auditorium. Paul Fixter and I, of course, will have the game for you right here on City News 570. If you're not able to get a ticket... We'll have pregame coverage starting at 6.35. We've got the full game for you, of course. And following that, you know, Rangers talk with your calls after Rangers nights. And then we're going to have so much fun tomorrow. We'll do it all over again on Saturday in London. Again, Paul Fixter and I will have that game for you. We'll be in the building for the broadcast, and I hope you'll be along with us. This is the Mike Farwell Show, your 12 o'clock talkback hour on City News 570. Hot on the heels of an announcement by local mayors about how to build more homes and stronger communities. That announcement at 12.15. Very pleased to be joined on the show by one of the participants in that announcement moments ago. Kitchener Mayor Barry Verbanovic on the program. Mayor Verbanovic, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Mike, and uh, a real pleasure to uh, to be here with you today, especially after, you know, knowing how enthused you were about uh, us as mayors coming together uh, and uh, and working together. I am enthused, all right, let me tell you. Uh, let's, begin, <laughs> let's begin with what I have learned since uh, that announcement at 1215. You are calling for, along with your fellow mayors, a new vision for local government. What is that vision? Yeah, so Mike, what uh, we're calling for is um, a, a continuation of our, our two-tier system, but recognizing that while that uh, the regional order of government has served us well for the uh, past 50 years, as we look forward to the future of our of our shared communities, uh, we need to reform that model uh, where existing boundaries are, are maintained, uh, but there is um, transfer of responsibility, particularly as it relates to issues that coincide with Bill 23 and the transfer of uh, planning responsibilities that the province is moving from the region uh, to area municipalities. How would this reform help us build more homes, for example, in the community? So listen, I mean, the whole point of the, the province transferring this responsibility to us is so that 
you know, builders, developers, those looking to invest in their community have uh, one order of government uh, who to come to for uh, for planning issues. What we're suggesting, and, you know, you're hearing this in Halton and Peel regions and others, there are a number of other areas that if we're talking about building more homes faster and continuing to grow the economy, um, there are other things that we need to include in that um, as uh, as part of building complete communities. And so that, uh, you know, could include things like roads, transportation and traffic control, uh, things like culture, recreation, heritage, uh, library services, bylaw enforcement, and, uh, and of course, the continued economic development co- uh, cooperation. I mean, one of the things that, quite frankly, you know, has been said this morning, um, unfortunately, seems to be going back to, uh, you know, maybe what things were like before 2015, but I can tell you since then, the level of collaboration that exists amongst the municipalities uh, through Waterloo uh, Economic Development Corporation so that we're not competing amongst ourselves, but in fact competing with the rest of the world. Uh, we've, we've seen um, a level of collaboration unlike anything I've seen in my uh, 30 years in local government. We had uh, a really, I think, well-meaning group come forward with tremendous collaboration given the number of stakeholders involved from the nonprofit sector to the development sector back in the summer, in and around July of 2023 with the Build Now initiative. But in the six months or so since Mayor Verbanovic, we have not heard one peep about any land being made available to begin building those 10,000 housing units. Why not? What's standing in our way? So, you know, our uh, municipalities and our officials have continued to uh, uh, work with the uh, the partners on the Build Now initiative to uh, explore how it goes forward. Um, as you can imagine, I mean, this is a, a very new and innovative idea, but we also need to do it in a way that respects the uh, legal obligations that we have around um, making sure that as things move forward, they happen um, in a way that um, is transparent, is ensuring financial accountability, uh, and is, is getting homes built. I do uh, believe, uh, and you know, I can tell you that, for example, I've got a meeting tomorrow morning on the, this very issue, um, and uh, we have a, a report that will be coming to uh, City Council on the disposition of surplus land uh, later this month in, in Kitchener's case. Um, and so this is uh, very much an, an active file and one uh, that we're committed to working uh, with those partners and others in the community that regularly approach us uh, with visions around how to uh, help build more homes faster. I will note, though, and you might have just uh, heard this, you know, in, 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 in Kitchener's case, and I'll, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't surprised uh, at, by the numbers at the end of the year, uh, but we just learned uh, earlier this week that, in fact, we did meet um, our 2023 uh, targets uh, in terms of not only building permits, but foundations started. Uh, and so uh, we were quite uh, quite pleased to, to learn that. And, uh, and in addition to that, we've also achieved over 30% of our planning approvals in terms of the city of Kitchener. And I know the other cities and townships are, are rolling up their sleeves and working equally as hard. Your announcement today at 12.15 uh, included the mayor of Cambridge, the mayors of the townships, but not the mayor of Waterloo. Why not? Where was she? So, you know, as I indicated, today's presentation uh, did bring forward the shared collaborative position of six of our seven mayors, representing almost 80% of the population. Uh, In fact, all seven area mayors began to meet following the announcement of Bill 23 in October 22 in order to build a shared position. After our initial meetings, we also invited the chair of the region to join us. Uh, But shortly afterwards, both of our colleagues decided to not continue in the discussions uh, with us around developing a collaborative position. 
I can't speak to why they've made that choice uh, and suggest you speak to them. But I think uh, what I would reiterate that those of us who are here are here with uh, the support of our councils and represent 80% of the region of Waterloo and are, and are committed to what we believe is the best shared future for our communities, both individually and together. Was it a deliberate choice? I mean, it comes across as very cheeky that you're at the same hotel where the regional governance review is going on today. Listen, I mean, as you know, there were others who have uh, been speaking to this issue at different points in time over the last number of months. Um, we didn't feel it was uh, appropriate to, um, to to really start speaking about this issue before um, there was some clarity around the specific questions the province was asking us. Um, and then to use the, um, the public input uh, process that the province has provided uh, to engage through that. And so... Uh, you know, all of the mayors will be speaking today, and and the uh, opportunity of uh, doing a press conference was uh, an opportunity to for media and others in a public, transparent way to ask the questions that they feel are important uh, for the residents of our of our cities and our region. But you could have asked them somewhere else besides the Crown Plaza. Well, you know what I mean. I think the the, the reality is uh, it, it's cold out there, Mike, and it's uh, <laughs> and it's very it's very uh, convenient, uh, particularly for you know our, our local media partners uh, who are stretched with resources to not have to go to another building, but to in fact be able to do the media interview here. Um, and I know one of your. Uh, uh, one of your uh, fellow co-workers is waiting outside to, uh, in fact, have that uh, post-press uh, conference uh, uh, interview. But I said, you know what, you take priority. That is very kind of you, as always. We've always been very open, and you've been terrific and accessible. I thank you again for that, and I appreciate the time on the show. Always a pleasure. Thanks a million, Mike. You too, Mayor Verbanovic. Kitchener Mayor Barry Verbanovic. we got to run. We're out of time. I didn't get around to why it has to be a two-tier vision for the future, but we will, because, listen, if it's one thing Barry has been, it's accessible. And this is a conversation we need to keep having in the community. Uh, i got to go. Uh, thanks for being with us. Devin Robertson, the guy on the other side of the glass. My name is Mike Farwell. Bye-bye for now.